Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I see Dallas and I see Colorado as a different maturation part in their organizations. Uh, they they seem to be a half a letter to a full letter grade ahead. Uh, but then I, I look at, at Minnesota, I look at what Winnipeg's going through, what Nashville's going through, what we're going through. Uh, so I don't see us being in that group of, of players starting out, you know, hoping to get the first overall pick. That That's not what we're looking at. Now, how far they can take it, uh, I, I think we should be competitive with with the groups with that uh, with that you know if you break the league into thirds I hope to be in, in competitive with that middle third and I hope to be at the top end of that middle third. That was Doug Armstrong heading into the season talking about what his expectations were this year for the St. Louis Blues. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Bradford Bruns, I'm Brandon Kylie. You've got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Alex coming out of the Christmas break. If you had told me on day one that the Blues would be 17, 15, and 1, they would have won four of their last five games, the power play would be starting to show some signs of life, and they would have scored four or more goals in each of those four games, I would have said, okay, season's kind of gone according to plan. They're probably right around that area, that range that Doug Armstrong was talking about, and we'll probably be talking about them as, hey, Maybe they could get into the postseason this year. Well, all of that is true. (laughs) And that is where things stand as of today. And Alex, by points percentage, despite everything that I just mentioned, the only team in the Central Division that is worse so far by points percentage than the Blues is actually the Chicago Blackhawks because this division is highly competitive. And despite all of that, I think there might be an opening here, man. I don't think anybody has pulled away in this division. The Dallas Stars, who are right now the best team in the Central, man, they've hit some struggles in their own path this season. Jake Ottinger has been unhealthy. Their team is a good one, but they're starting that goal suppression style that they've been playing with. Man, they're not suppressing as many goals lately as they've gone up against some of the better teams in the Western Conference. You look at what they did against Vegas, 6-1 to one loss there. They gave up uh, three goals and ended up going to overtime against both Seattle and Vancouver. They gave up the four against the Blues earlier before that. Five against Florida, four against Tampa. Ended up giving up four, losing in overtime against Calgary. Lost uh, in overtime against Vegas. Like... This is a team that is starting to struggle more than they did in the early portion of the season when they were 11-3-1. And they're not alone. Colorado had a player that called out the entire team for not competing hard enough the other night. Like, 
This division is weird. The Predators have gone up and down and up and down. It's been a roller coaster ride there. The Coyotes aren't ready at this point in their build to be a legitimate contender in the Western Conference. So I ask all of that, Alex, today coming off of the Christmas holiday, to ask you this. Are you ready to get high on Hopium? Oh, let's go. Are you ready to look at the possibility that there is an opening here in the Central Division for the Blues to sneak Someone through? needs to park that panic bus back into the garage because Brandon Kylie is all aboard the <laughs> Hopium train, and I'm with him. Look, uh, th- nobody's... Nobody's scary in the Western Conference right now. That's that's the only thing I can go off of. I will of. make an amendment there. I will say nobody's scary in this division. The Canucks, the Knights, and the Kings, I think, are legit. But I the think Knights, those three teams are really good. But the Knights are 500 in their last 10 games. I know. The, the Kings, uh, yes, the Kings are a very scary team, but the Kings are also hoping that Cam Talbot leads them to the <laughs> promised land. And sorry if I can't back that. I agree with you. The Vancouver Canucks are a very scary team. We... We witnessed that firsthand, and they're going to be a team that spends some assets. They're scary, but they've also had their 500 stretch within, I think it was either November or the early portion of December. And when I look at the Central Division, yeah, you've got the top-heavy teams like Doug Armstrong mentioned, Dallas, Colorado, Winnipeg. But you're sitting eight points behind the Winnipeg Jets, and yes, you lost to those teams both times, and they're on a roll right now. But they also started the season as a 500 team. Colorado, you mentioned, might have internal problems, and they also can't stay healthy. And the Dallas Stars, well, the Dallas Stars always look like a juggernaut, but they never actually are a juggernaut. So, look, I'm not sitting here saying that the Blues are going to be the number one team in the Central Division by season's end. But what I will agree with you and get high on that hopium with you is... I look at the teams beyond Vancouver, Vegas, and L.A. in the Pacific, and all of those teams are worse than the Blues. Calgary, Seattle, Edmonton, although Edmonton's turned it on a little bit, Anaheim, San Jose. I look at Minnesota. I look at Nashville. I look at Arizona. You're the exact same team as all of those teams. And if you can get your offense going, if your power play starts to perform a little bit better, and you get a little bit tighter defensively, we're talking about a team that's fighting for third place like Nashville is right now. So, yeah, I won't sit here and act like this team is awful. They were awful, but they figured something out in their last five games, and I'm hoping that continues. Somebody from the 314. And by the way, you guys can get involved, of course. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Guys, you are such homers, and I absolutely love it. Happy Whoa. holidays. So maybe there's a little bit of that. You're going to call me who hosts pre and post game for the Blues a homer? I would say this, though. I would be talking about the same thing today. If I was in Arizona, if I was in Nashville, if I was in Minnesota, where I'd say, hey, we're the Minnesota Wild, and we sucked for the first, you know, 15 games of the season. I had to fire our coach as a result. But we've been playing better, and the Central Division did not run away from us. They allowed us to still have an opening here. And right now, by points, they are second to last in the Central Division. By February 1st, would it shock you, Alex, if they were fourth? Because I don't think it should shock anybody if they end up fourth in the division by that point in the season. You're three points away and you're one game in hand. The Blues are the same conversation, man. And like... If this team gets to the playoffs, do I think they're going to win a Stanley Cup? I do not. Do I think they could beat any of those teams that we just talked about? Vegas, uh, Vancouver, L.A., all of whom are probably going to be uh, sending assets elsewhere to improve upon their current roster by the trade deadline? No, I don't think you're beating any of those teams in the playoffs. But you don't have to. 
The first thing you got to do is get out of this godforsaken division. Yeah. And I don't think anybody in this division is very good right now. Right. And so if they get to the postseason, could they pull off an upset against one of those teams that's in the top three? Yeah. Absolutely. We see it every year, man. You, Last year, the Boston Bruins, I'm cooking right here. Yeah, right sorry. Now. Your, hopium, your hopium is actually hitting. Go. Last year, the Boston Bruins won the damn President's Trophy, and they lost against a good, but nobody saw uh, them as great Florida Panthers team. So, like, yeah, weird stuff happens in the NHL Stanley Cup playoffs. Again, I'm not predicting it. I don't think the Blues are going to do this. I think they're more likely to sell off assets at the deadline than they are to become the third place team in the Western or in the Central Division. But, 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 because but. this division is not very good, there is still an opening there for them to potentially be able to walk through. You done cooking? That hopium fading away a little bit right now? A little bit. 92 points is probably all it's going to take to make the playoffs. Maybe less than that, because right now, like nobody in the Pacific is pushing for a wild card. It's the top three and then everyone else. You're fighting with Nashville, Arizona and Minnesota for one of those top wild card spots. And 90 points is very doable for a team that has just floated above two or three games, 500. You've never fallen more than two games under 500. So this team has been able to stay out of that that bottom, that basement. And here's the thing. You've got one asset that does give you an opportunity to win in a playoff series, and it's Bennington. But you got to get there to let Bennington actually try and attempt that. And to get there, you're going to have to find your offense, and you're going to have to tighten up defensively. I think it's the offense. I think that's really the story of the season. If you look at the way that the Blues win this year, it's by scoring four-plus goals. Now, that is a really hard way to win. It goes back to what happened last year, right? Where if that offense goes stale, if you get a little bad puck luck, you end up going on a potential six-game slide because you don't have the structure to be able to lean back upon. But because this team now has a top line that it can count on, because Thomas Kyrun Buchnevich has been reunited and they're playing their best hockey that we've seen from them in quite some time, you do have an offense that can contend against some of the better teams in the West. And Alex, I do want to ask you individually, let's go through this real quick. Do you think that Robert Thomas finishes the year with 80 or more points? Yeah, I think he's in the 90 range. Do you think Pavel Buchnevich will finish, if healthy, all of this is assuming health, with 80 or more points this year? Yes. Do you think that Jordan Cairo will finish the year with 80 or more points this season? I do. So you think that the Blues will have three players that finish with at least 80 points in 2023? I do. And especially if you look at what last year was, you were barely there with Cairo, Thomas, and the injury bug is what kept Pavel Buchnevich away from that one. The last time that happened for a Blues team where they had three players reach at least 80 points in a single season was 1993. It's been 30 years since the Blues accomplished such a feat. If you look at the teams that have accomplished something similar to this in recent years, man, they all ended up basically getting to 100 points. Over the last decade, every single team that had three players reach at least 100 points finished with 95 or more points in the course of a regular season. Now, I don't think the Blues are capable of that. I think they got off to too poor of a start, and I don't think they're deep enough as a roster to be able to get to that place. However, if you look at some of the other teams that were in a similar spot to where the Blues are at in their build, there were some other teams that had two guys get to 80 or more points, which is very realistic for this team as well. Maybe they don't get the third. Maybe there's an injury or something. The 2017 Colorado Avalanche did that. Same thing that season for the Flyers and the Islanders. 2018, you had the Panthers, the Oilers, and the Blackhawks. Now, one of those was going in the wrong direction. The other two, though, were on the up and up. And then last year, you had the Canucks. Alex, I think some of those comparisons are really interesting for the Blues because 
it is the starting point of those teams in their build. And that's what the Blues are hoping is that this is the starting point of what their build is ultimately going to become. Especially like the Vancouver Canucks is the one that I'd like to hone in on because that's the team that I do see the similar comps with. When you look at the goaltending situation, when you look at how they viewed their team and they needed more structure, so they fired their coach, they brought in Rick Tocken and he figured it out and their best players played up to their potential. You had a 100-point season by Pedersen. JT Miller was the 80-point player and then you had a couple of other guys come up on the rear and look at what they went from one year to the next year that's the probably best comp that you can go with that doesn't have those those elite superstars in the national hockey league like the blues don't have now they have Patterson, and i don't think you have anybody that comes close to elias Patterson. but if robert thomas continues to play this way you could at least start bringing both of them into the same conversation if you can get a guy who's got 90 points you put up 30 goals in a season and you're eating 20 minutes a night that's what Patterson does and that's what robert thomas is close to doing it's also possible that you're at the beginning of where you were with colorado in 2017 2018 yeah where at the time they had McKinnon, Rantanen, and Landeskog. Now McKinnon was 22 years old, Rantanen was 21 years old, Landeskog was 25 years old, and those guys put up 97, 84, and 62 points that year. Maybe that's what you're building. Maybe your version of Gabriel Landeskog is Pavel Buchnevich. Your version of Nathan McKinnon, now again, not to the same level as Nathan McKinnon, nobody's that guy, but the only guy with more points this year at even strength than Robert Thomas is one Nathan McKinnon. Yep. So that's your equivalent there. And then you look at Rantanen, and your hope is that, at least in terms of the goal-scoring production, you can get that out of Jordan Kyrou. They're not one-for-one one players. I think those guys on uh, Colorado are more physical than what you have uh, with Agreed. your top three. But points production-wise, you are right now where they were in 2017. They finished that year with 95 points. The year prior, they were at 48 points, finished seventh in the Central Division. You're hoping that much like that Colorado team, you are on the upswing of what is going to be a sustained period of winning once again. And, that and it will be led by those three players. And that dud of a season that you mentioned, you're hoping was last year yeah. for all three of them. And now you're hoping that this is that upswing that you're talking about. I love the comp, and it really comes down to the the th th those three because those are the three that this team's success hinges on. And if you see them take that upswing, then you're talking about a team that's going to be up there with Nashville, Arizona, Minnesota. Everything about this retool always was going to come down to Thomas and Kyra. Yep. It's why your coach got fired because he couldn't get the most out of Jordan Kyra. right or wrong. Whether you agree with it or disagree with it, it doesn't matter. The, the deed is done. He is now gone because Jordan Kyra wasn't producing. Jordan Kyra is now producing under Drew Bannister. And if that continues, the best way for Drew Bannister to get hired here in St. Louis long-term is by continuing to have those three united on that top line, performing at a high level and putting up big time points. Yep. If you can do that, you're going to win a lot of hockey games and you're going to be the coach here for a long time to come. So that's the job. And over the next 10 games or so, as these teams start getting a little better, the opposing, uh, opposing teams that you're going to be going up against, the level of competition is increasing in a significant way now. You're going up against the best of the best over the next three weeks. If they can continue performing at this level... Suddenly, we're going to be having some different conversations here in St. Louis. Alongside Alex Ferrario, who will be on pregame coverage for the Blues versus the Stars tonight at 6 o'clock right here on your home of the Blues, 101 ESPN. I'm Brandon Kiley. We have Bradford Bruns along for the ride with us today. T-Bone out all week with some much-deserved vacation. If you guys want to get involved in the show, the place to do so is the Air Comfort Service text line. It is 314-399-9646. You guys can always watch us on YouTube at 101 ESPN STL. You can get involved in the chat over there as well. But coming up next, 
Alex, we got to talk a little bit of college football because tonight USC is going to be taking the field, and they will do so without Caleb Williams. Who's going to be their starting quarterback next year? Sure doesn't seem like they know right now, and there's a reason for that. We'll discuss it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alex and Bradford, I'm BK. You got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. A little bit of news to pass along. This comes from Gabe DeArmond of PowerMizzou.com. Mizzou getting another running back in on a visit coming up in the month of January. Nate Noel, formerly of uh, Eli Drinkwitz, is Appalachian State alum. Nate Noel has played there over the last couple of years, had 3,000 yards on the ground at Appalachian State. So the, so, so the Mizzou got the first Noel. Oh, you're welcome. The hits just keep on coming. All of you. You're welcome. You feel good about that? Oh, are you kidding me? Look, the dad jokes don't stop on Christmas when I no, do them. They, they keep rolling. Worse. Nailed it. So that is the latest in terms of Much the like- Missouri side of things. They are pre- preparing right now for the Cotton Bowl, where they will take on are Ohio they? State. Ohio State doesn't seem to have a quarterback right now. Oh, yeah? Not just for this game, Alex, but for next year. Nobody's really sure who's going to be taking the snaps for the Buckeyes under center next year it seems like a problem they ran off kyle mccord now i don't think kyle mccord was a particularly great quarterback i thought he was the weakness of that team this year they were very lucky very fortunate that marvin harrison jr was there and he was i think arguably the most dominant college football player this year that didn't play quarterback um so they're very lucky that they had him but now they've got a whole lot of uncertainty at the position and the same is true for a team that we are expecting to watch tonight USC will take on Louisville, and USC will be without Caleb Williams. Alex, they had a five-star quarterback behind Caleb Williams this year. They had him committed from last year's class. He decided also to enter the transfer portal. And I think we see this a lot in college basketball. It's become kind of a theme in college basketball where Illinois fans, you can certainly relate to this. Mizzou fans, this year, we can relate to it. There are certain seasons where it just doesn't come together. You go to the portal, you hope that you hit on all of the guys, and it doesn't work out for whatever reason. Maybe it's a chemistry thing. Maybe it's you didn't have enough shooting. You didn't have enough size. You just missed on one or two of the guys that you needed. And it ended up where your season didn't come together because of it. Alex, I think we're starting to see that in college football now. We'll see what happens as we get into the springtime. Maybe these these places are able to find somebody. They convince somebody to take their money and they can play for them for a million bucks next year, right? But as of today, Blue Bloods like USC and Ohio State are playing a game of musical chairs, the music is getting ready to turn off, and they don't appear to have a dance partner, man. And the last guy that's remaining is Will Howard. Ooh. Will Howard was Kansas State's quarterback this year. He has been replaced by Avery Johnson, a very good young freshman quarterback there. And they said, hey, Will, you go take your chances in the portal. We appreciate everything you've done. He's a capable quarterback, but he is worse than Brady Cook. And USC and Ohio State are his two college options right now. (laughs) And they are desperate to say, take our money, Will Howard. Please come play for the Trojans. Please come play for the Buckeyes. I think the portal, we have arrived at a place with it where Blue Bloods that miss out on the front end of the quarterback transfer portal will be stuck with something that they did not want at the quarterback position. And because of it, you're going to see a lot of these teams year in and year out say, shoot, we missed shoot. out, and now we have no chance of making the college football playoff as a result. That is why I think it 
or a fan base like Mizzou, Illinois, etc. I think that is a really good thing for you yeah. because it will level the playing field because these five stars that are backups at USC, Ohio State, etc., they're hitting the portal and they're trying their opportunity elsewhere. Yeah, man. the transfer portal giveth and the transfer portal taketh away, and that's what's happening right now. And you're right. This is we talked about this a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about the strengths of the transfer portal. And although this sucks, if you're an Ohio State, a USC fan, you're looking at this being like, well, what the hell? This is great for everyone else because it's not the same team every single season. 100%. And, and for these college football teams that that go to the transfer portal or they bring in that one five-star recruit at a certain area and you've got guys in the backup situation, those have the opportunity to go elsewhere. So you better pick the right quarterback, which USC did with Caleb Williams. You picked the right quarterback. But you better make sure it's the right one that's going to be there for a long time because when you lose that guy, when he goes to the draft or when his college career is done welcome to you not finding the next one in the transfer portal look at kentucky this year yeah they went to the portal and they missed and it ended up with them not being the same team as a result they were hopeful that they would end up actually taking a step from will levis what will levis what he was last year that version of him and it didn't work oklahoma they ended up going to the portal getting a quarterback and it worked for them and this year they win 10 games as a result texas goes to the portal they get quinn ewers it clearly worked for them washington uh, uh, other teams that went there, Oregon, yeah. they get Bo Nix out of the portal. It worked for them. If you miss, though, if you go to the portal and the guy that you get that you put all of your hopes on ends up busting you're or you stuck. don't get the guy that you were looking for, you're stuck. And it's stuck and for a missing good out three years. It's all bad news, man. Yeah. It's all bad news. LSU got Jaden Daniels out of the portal. It worked. They end up getting a Heisman Trophy winner as a result. And the really interesting facet to monitor here, guys, in a lot of ways, it amplifies the pressure on some of these big-name head coaches, some of those oh, yeah, who are already on the hot seat. Hello, Ryan Day, and the programs at large. Because let's say that you're vying, you're fighting for the right to be able to secure Will Howard next year. Well, the field is expanding. As we know, the playoff field to 12 teams if you don't make it next year as one of the blue bloods how much more humiliating is that if you go bust on the qb well, front and think about usc right think about how much pressure is taking place right now on lincoln riley out at usc i don't oh, think yeah. he's gonna be fired after next season but if he has another season similar to this dude the next year he will be in a win or go home type of a situation for the trojans if you don't have a quarterback we know his defense is gonna stink Lincoln Riley never has a good defense. His defense always sucks. So if now you have a average at best defense and your quarterback situation takes a massive step back, well, now you're just a six and six football team again or worse at USC. That is unacceptable. Now, at places like Ohio State, where the talent level is you know astronomical and they do have a good defense year in and year out, they could still next year win nine or ten games and have a respectable season if that happened at Mizzou. The difference is at Ohio State, you can win 11 games. This season was a failure. Ohio State fans are furious. They want Ryan Day gone because he can't overcome Michigan. Bingo. And if you don't have a quarterback, and this year I thought they had an average one in Kyle McCord, and he was essentially a scapegoat for losing to Michigan, you're going to get run out of town. And that is what's taking place right now with some of these programs. If they miss, Washington will be in the same spot. If they miss, if they don't get a quarterback to replace Michael Penix, if LSU doesn't get the right guy to fit, uh, to replace Jaden Daniels, if you don't see the right guy to replace Bo Nix up at Oregon, 
These teams are going to be in the same position that we're talking about right now with USC and Ohio State, but they'll be there next year. We uh, we talk all the time about how the the message gets stales in hockey for coaches, and it's like a three to five year window. College football, it's going to feel like college football coaches are going to be attached to that one quarterback, and after Absolutely. that quarterback's gone, the cycle's going to start again for the new transfer portal for the new coach, and it's just going to continue to repeat. It's why Drinkwitz has to find his next answer now. Yeah, like you you got to find the next guy a year ahead of time. This is what uh, Gary Pinkle I think did better than anybody in the country. He always had the succession plan in place a year in advance. And now provide them incentive enough to stay and wait because that's the hard part for college football athletes now is they don't want to wait for that opportunity. And then on top of that, down the list maybe just a tad, hoping that your offensive continuity with respect to the coaching staff stays intact for long enough to see it all come to fruition. That voice you just heard is Bradford Bruns. He's working the board for us today. T-Bone off this week. He'll be back in next week with us, Alex Ferrario and Brandon Kylie. Got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we will get to questions and answers. If you guys have any of those, get them in on the text line right now at 314-399-9646. But next, Alex, if I told you that the Cardinals, you can make an argument as of today, project better offensively and with their starting rotation than the Texas Rangers, your reaction would be what? We'll get into that next year on 101 ESPN. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy-on, easy-off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com socks. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Brandon Kylie, you got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Coming up in about 10 minutes or so, we'll get into questions and answers. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show. Alex, I went over to the Fangraphs projections earlier today. Of course you did, because BK's bored. He says, let's check out Fangraphs. Fan, frankly, because there's not a lot going on in baseball. And I was like, okay, let's see where the Cardinals are at. Like, let's reset the situation a little bit. So I decided... Let's compare him to the team that, you know, won the World Series last year. Let's see how they're stacking up. I bet you it's pretty far, right? Mm-mm. Yeah. I'm sorry. One won the World Series, and the other hasn't been there since 2013. Good catch. I think you're about you. to say 2011. In there. Yep. Yeah. So, I'm a Cardinals fan. I assumed that they would be... There would be a pretty wide gap between the two teams, right? Because, like you said... Rangers just won the World Series. They're basically bringing everybody back other than Jordan Montgomery. 
This is a lineup that was crushing for most of last season, a rotation that was solid. I think people would take them just in a theoretical sense over what the Cardinals have currently. And yet when I look at the projections, <coughs> the Cardinals, you could make an argument, have better projections, both in the rotation and in the lineup compared to what you are now expecting out of the Rangers in 2024. Alex, the Cardinals, if you're just looking, I went by weighted runs created plus, you could go by any other metric. Like if you want to go by OPS, wins above replacement, whatever your favorite is, it all is the same thing. It ends up being the exact same thing of what I'm saying here. The Cardinals, if you're going one for one from the top to the bottom of the lineup, they are basically the same in the top five spots in the lineup. And then the Cardinals have a little bit more depth in the middle. And then if you want to make a discussion about who the ninth best hitter is on a day-in, day-out basis, the Rangers are a little bit better there. But overall, it's essentially coming out in the wash saying these lineups should be eerily similar with what they produce in 2024. So I was like, okay, I'm pretty high on this lineup as well. I could see how you get there with a projection system where you look at it, you're like, all right, so yeah. Nolan Arenado, Paul Goldschmidt, Lars Nupar, Brendan Donovan, Jordan Walker, Wilson Contreras, Nolan Gorman. Those are going to be good hitters in some way or another. What about the pitching? Because I think that's the real question for most Cardinals fans. It is the question for me as well. I'm not as high on this pitching, this rotation, as I think the Cardinals seem to be internally. You could have stuck with just pitching. It would have been fine. Fair. I don't know how high they are on their bullpen right now either, though, to be fair. I, I think they know. I don't that see them making moves, them. BK. They fair. must be competent. Dude, the rotation. You can make an argument right now the Cardinals have a better opening day rotation than the Rangers. Let's go one for one. Nathan Avaldi versus Sonny Gray. Who would you rather have next year, Alex? Uh, regular season Sonny Gray, but we all know Sonny Gray can't pitch in the postseason, so Nathan Avaldi. Fair. Miles Michaelis or John Gray? I think it's pretty close. Uh, yeah, I'd say that's a wash. Probably John Gray for the inconsistency of seasons with Miles sure. Michaelis, but I'd say wash. Better strikeout stuff. I can understand that. Dane Dunning or Kyle Gibson? <laughs> I would rather have Kyle Gibson. I think I know more of what I'm expecting out of Kyle Gibson next year than Dane Dunning. But like, I feel like there's upside still with Dane Dunning, and sure. I'm like, I'm arguing, I'm arguing a guy who probably at best is a three, and another guy who at best is a four. So. I would go wash, but I'd probably lean more towards Dane Dunning. Andrew Heaney or Steven Matz? I think they're the same thing. I think they're the same person, so I'll say wash. Jake Odorizzi or Lance Lynn? I mean, I'd go Lynn because I know the innings are going to be there, but man, am I very concerned. I don't know if Jake yeah, Odorizzi... worried about the linnings with him, but... The linnings? Mm-hmm. The innings just, are fine. Did you the linnings are not great. Did you just try and do a dad joke on top of do? it? That's cute. That's pretty good. That's cute. (laughs) When they say that's cute, that's like a fake laugh. Um, I'd go go Lance Lynn only because he's going to get me innings from start to finish, or Linnings, as BK likes to joke. Um, But I don't think Jake Odorizzi is going to be giving up eight almost every other night. The opening day rotation, I think, favors the Cardinals. Now, the Rangers might end up adding Jordan Montgomery. It throws everything out of whack. And then Jacob DeGrom comes back. Sure. We'll get to that part here in a second. But the opening day rotation, I'd rather have what the Cardinals have going into the season than what the Rangers have. If you want to look at the opening day lineups, as of today, I think they're eerily similar. Or you could make an argument, the Cardinals are a little better because of the depth in the Cardinals lineup compared to what the Rangers have. This is not to suggest 
that the Cardinals are a better team than the Rangers or that the Cardinals are more likely to go to the World Series than the Rangers. The real difference between these two teams, Alex, is what you mentioned. Max Scherzer, Jacob deGrom, Tyler Malley. Those guys coming back at some point midseason, late season for the Rangers changes the outlook of their October status. The Cardinals' questions to me right now are not really about whether or not they can succeed in the regular season. I think they have built a team that should, with this division, compete for 85 to 90 wins. The question is, and that probably will win the division, the question is, can you win in October with the way that you're currently constructed? And I don't know the answer to that. That's why I still believe that they need to go out there and add another frontline starting pitching. But when you look at those projections and you think about how they compare to the Texas Rangers who won the World Series last year, what was your reaction, Alex? Because for me, I was I was pretty surprised by how close it was. Yeah, I mean, I absolutely am very surprised at how close it was. I mean, it's so hard to just omit DeGrom and Scherzer and Malley because those are massive pieces. But let's be honest, neither of them were really expecting to be healthy uh, for a large portion of the season. That's been their M.O. at least the last couple of years. So going one for one, yeah, I absolutely would look at that and say, okay, yeah, the Cardinals could do that. Now, the difference, of course, is the Rangers looked at that and said, we need to make massive upgrades to this and the trades that they made to be a better team. Cardinals, I don't buy into. But to start a season off and all of the hype that's going to be around the Texas Rangers because you're coming off of a World Series the Cardinals arguably have just as good, if not better, rotation than what they put out there. And I asked you about the bullpen, and I looked at it. The Texas Rangers bullpen was not good last year. So you kind of are one for one in that spot. And yeah. honestly, if you're going full team, we go back to the offense. I'd give the slight edge to the Cardinals because I think they have more depth in terms of hitting than what the Texas Rangers might have at the top of their hitting. So here's the question, because I think we're in agreement there. Can you build a team? Because I think this is the, the most common complaint that I have and that I think fans have about the Cardinals. Can you build a team for October on opening day if you're not tanking and you're not into the CBT threshold? No. Can you? I don't think you can. I, I think there's there's teams that do one or the other. And those teams, Phillies, Dodgers, Braves, those are the teams that are hitting the, the, the tax threshold, the Mets. Um, and then you've got your Tampa Bay Rays, teams that are kind of in between, but then you've got the teams that like completely blew it up, the Houston Astros, the Chicago Cubs, the teams that just went awful for a good 10-year stretch so that they could get to that promised land. So last year going into the season, forget what actually happened, but going into the season, the Mets were built for October, you would say, Alex? Like they were built to win oh, yeah. in the regular season and then hopefully get through October. The off season that they had, they built it for an October run. Phillies? Yes. The Braves? Yes. Those three teams were all top seven in uh in in pay opening day payroll. Yep. Uh you would say that the Dodgers and Padres were built for the regular season Absolutely. and the October run. Yep. Uh the Rangers were yep. built for that going into the season. The Houston Astros were built yep. for that. All of these teams so far ended up with a, a with a payroll of over $200 million at some point in the regular season. Uh, the Toronto Blue Jays, I think you could have made an argument for that. Also over $200 million. The Cardinals are at one, were at 175 last year in terms of their payroll. And this year, you're going to at some point get closer to that $200 million threshold. But they're not going to get anywhere close to paying out of the tax. I, I do think this is a conversation that is worth having and worth noting in the backdrop of how we feel about the Cardinals. 
I don't think you can have good rotation, good lineup, good bullpen, good defense going into opening day without doing one of the two following things. Having tanked for three to five years, which most of these teams at some point probably did, or spending a boatload of money up to the point where you're getting into the luxury yeah. tax. But the difference... If you're unwilling to do either of those two things, I think you have to go light somewhere. You have to go light at the back end of your rotation, or you have to go light at the bullpen. You have to go light somewhere in your lineup. You're going to have a significant weakness that fans will view as a potential fatal flaw, but you have to hope that you've got internal answers that will at some point emerge and patch over whatever that flaw is. But the, that's how you have to operate if you're a team like the Cardinals, a team like the Brewers, etc. The difference is those other teams, not named the Cardinals, that when they operate that way, there's faith from a fan base that they're going to go out at the trade deadline and say, we need to upgrade this area. Totally fair. And the Cardinals go into a season thinking like, well, we did what we could, and if these guys aren't good enough, then we're not going to get there. And that's why I think they need to add another starter now. Yeah. Because I don't have that faith that the Cardinals are going to be aggressive at the trade deadline to go get a front-end starting pitcher that they, I believe, need in order to win in October. The Brewers have shown an ability, a willingness when they're in it. Man, they're going to push, and they're going to go try to make that big-time trade yeah. in in July that will push them through October. We've seen them make those kinds of moves in the past. Texas just did it. The Cardinals have not, man. They just haven't. And until they show you a willingness to do so, it is totally reasonable to be skeptical of that and to want more of them going into opening day because of that, because you're projecting to what they're going to do at the trade deadline. But I do think it is fair to also acknowledge they're going to have to be light somewhere. And I think what they would say is their place that they're going to be light is that front end starting pitching. My concern is why didn't you just make it the back end of the rotation, fill the front end starter and allow the numbers yep. to fill the capacity of the back end of your rotation. But a philosophical difference, I guess you could say well, uh, between well, myself fired. and the St. Louis Cardinals. Well, then you're fired. Coming up next questions and answers here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe it's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 314-399-9646 is the air covered service text line for questions and answers. You guys give us a questions. We'll give you some answers here on 101 ESPN. I got a lot of them. Coming up here in just a little bit, we'll talk about the Blues' decision to go with not Jordan Bennington. Instead, Joel Hofer will be getting the start coming out of the break. We'll get into that coming up here in just a little bit. But Alex, we got this from the 314. Guys, one thing that I could say about Alex, uh -oh. he may be delusional about the Blues, but... He's consistent with how he feels. <laughs> BK seems to flip-flop with how he feels about the Blues every two weeks. So to Grant or Alex, Bradford, how many losses in the next two weeks will it take for BK to flip-flop, flip-flop, excuse me, to being back off of the bandwagon once again? I, I want, can I say something clearly? Well, no, the question wasn't to you, sir. Okay, it was to ahead, me and sorry. Bradford. No. Go for it. Go ahead. Get, get high on your hopium. Um, I'm not on the bandwagon. I'm not. I would say right now I'm very skeptical that they're going to be able to continue playing as well as they have in their last five games. As of today, my stance is very simple. It's been fun to see them trying hard again. It's been fun to see Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo and Pavel Buchnevich, three guys that need to steer you through this retool, perform like top-line players again. It's been fun to see a guy in Drew Bannister get this opportunity 
and seemingly through five games, run with it. Mm -hmm. That's it. It's really that simple. I don't think you have. I think you're missing like four spots in your top nine right now of contending teams, top nine forwards. I think you're missing a top four defenseman right now. Maybe two top four defensemen right now. And if you don't have these pieces, I don't think you contend for anything meaningful. But I would love for them to prove me wrong. You've got a goalie who, if you get into the playoffs, can win you a series. You've got a couple of players with Kyra Thomas Buchnevich that can score goals in the postseason if you get there. So I would love nothing more than to be wrong about this team, but that's where I stand on them. I don't think I've really wavered on that at any point this season, but hey, man, we got to talk about something. And right now they're interesting. So what would it look like if they get better? It's what we said earlier today. I, I will defend my guy, BK, because, of course, we're brothers here on this show. I will defend him. Um, he This season, he has not jumped back and forth. He has been very steadfast on this team is boring and they're very predictable. And when they looked exciting, you started to say, OK, let's see what they got here. And then they've fallen back into grace. But to his credit, if they do go on a run here in this next two week stretch and you use the word hard, which is very funny because Drew Bannister just used that with the media. He said, quote, it was good for them to get a reset, take a break. This is going to be a tough part of our schedule. I've said this before. I think we need hard right now to see where we're at. And this is going to be a good test for us. If they come out of this looking different, everybody should be back on that bandwagon, not just go BK. 500. Go 500 yeah. in this stretch of 10 yeah. games, and I will not be buying into them as Stanley Cup contenders, but I'll be interested to see what they can do the rest of the way to make things interesting for Army by the trade deadline. Yeah. That's really what they're trying to do right now is, hey, make it hard for Doug Armstrong to trade some of these pieces away at the deadline. And yeah. there really is an inherent unpredictability to what you're going to encounter between the 6th and the 23rd of January. For crying out loud, you have solely Eastern Conference opponents during that time. You've got Florida, you've got the New York Rangers, you have a team in Carolina at that point. Exactly how is that team going to be performing? So it really is critical with the teams you've encountered more often, specifically the next four in particular. Really interested to see what the team is able to bring to the table. All right, let's I'm also the psychopath that just believes the Blues are always good and they'll figure exactly. it out. You are with the Blues yeah. what I am with the Cardinals. Yes. And we've got our roles on the show. Very we true. Alright, from the 6th 36 guys do you think that josh Hader would make the cardinals a legitimate contender because i think it could i, I find the josh Hader conversation to be fascinating man i really do i think it would be an objectively bad decision by the cardinals i think it would be bad business to pay 20 million dollars a year on a multi-year contract to a reliever that is my firm opinion on the matter but it's worked out in the past for the cardinals though if the cardinals are trying to go not all in but something approaching all in on 2023 or 2024 i suppose I think it would be a fascinating move that absolutely makes them a contender. A hater is the kind of move that you make where it's almost to the bullpen what Tyler Glass now would have been to your rotation. Where suddenly you are shortening games at the back end of your pin. Helsley going into hater, hot damn dude. That is something that a contender would have at the back end of their pin. So I think it'd be a bad move long term, but for 2024, hell yeah, it makes you better. Yeah, it makes you absolutely better. I don't know if it makes you a contender because I still think you're weak in the starting pitching spot, and I don't see that team going out there to get an ace at the deadline. Um, I think the team would be more likely to go out there and make a move for a Josh Hader-esque player at the deadline than the starting pitcher, but you're significantly better than what you are right now because your weakest spot is your rotation. Let me get this straight. Two frequently dominating guys at the back end of your bullpen, but also two guys who haven't exactly demonstrated the habit of taking the ball consistently day after day after yeah, day. Yeah, you get it. Yeah. <laughs> you get it? 
See, now you got to close her every day because when yeah, Hater's when... unavailable, you go to Helsley. When okay. Helsley's unavailable, you go yeah. to Hater. You just got to right. hope that when one says that he doesn't want to go, the other one's like, no, you know what? I'm not feeling exactly. it today. And then you got to go to Gallegos. Uh, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service X line for questions and answers. Last one here. Alex, do you believe that Paul Goldschmidt will be a Cardinal in 2025? Yeah, I, I do. I do. Paul Goldschmidt's not going anywhere because the Cardinals love one thing, and that is making sure that that legends stay here. And Paul Goldschmidt will go down as a St. Louis legend, whether you believe it or not, and he'll be a Cardinals Hall of Famer. So, yeah, he's going to wrap up his career here. Bradford? Year to year at this point in his career. Why? Because why press the issue if you're the organization as well? Oh, no, no it's not year to year. He's getting a five-year deal. Mm. Cardinal just, for life. You just had to go there. <laughs> Coming up in 15 minutes, some NFL quick hitters, including the Broncos' decision to go with a new quarterback. And they are not alone. The Washington Commanders did the exact same, and so did the New York Giants. Why are so many teams making quarterback decisions right now? We'll get into that coming up in about 15 minutes or so. But next, Jordan Bennington. Alex, I think it's fair to say at this point, he's proven to us he is not a 60-goal goal, or 60-game goalie. That's fine. But the Blues' decision today seems to indicate they are learning the exact same thing. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. and Bradford. I'm Brandon Kylie. You got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. So Jordan Bennington is not getting the starts tonight. Alex, that is a bit of a surprise to me. Not because I think he had earned it or he's deserving of it or anything like that, but because he's the number one goalie. And typically what you do in this spot is you got to reset and now you go out with your number one guy and you put him in the net and then you go from there and you kind of work the schedule around getting your number one goalie out there. But Joel Hofer's been better recently than Jordan Bennington has. And if you wanted to do it where two of the next three games, you get Joel Hofer in net instead of having two of those three games for Jordan Bennington, this is the way you got to go about it. You get Hofer in tonight. You go Bennington on Friday. You go back to Joel Hofer in the back-to-back situation on Saturday night against Pittsburgh. What was your reaction when you saw Alex that, it's going to be Hofer in net tonight for the Blues. I mean, I, I wasn't surprised. And frankly, I, I told you in the office, like, it wouldn't make sense if they went to Joel Hofer here. So Joey talked about it with us on on pregame. Uh, what was that? It was a couple of Saturday, the Blackhawks game. And apparently the internal discussion was, do we go back to Joel Hofer after that Florida Panthers game? And the reason they went to Jordan Bennington was because Drew Bannister wanted to get him feeling good about himself going into that Christmas break. And so they put him in the game to try and lift his spirits a little bit. Not that he's been playing poorly, but I mean, we've gone on a stretch of Jordan Bennington giving up uh, three or more goals. I think it's been, what is it, in five out of his last six starts or six out of his last seven starts, he's given up three or more goals. So that's that's not a trend that you want. So you put him in there against Chicago and you said, look, you get your goaltender feeling a little bit better. Now he gave up five goals on 20 shots. Not good. But at the end of the day, you won that game. Joel Hofer deserves to be in the net right now. And Jordan Bennington, I'll give him a little bit of an out because my man has played a lot of hockey because not only has he gotten the starts, but he's also had to come in games because Joel Hofer has been yanked a couple of times. So you've played a lot of hockey games. I looked it up. So he's played the fourth most starts so far this season amongst all goaltenders. And to top that one off, if you're just going games played amongst goaltenders, Jordan Bennington is third most tied with Thatcher Demko. So 
the reason eleven of the last fourteen games. Yeah, and then you're talking out of fourteen, and you're talking two of those three that he didn't start. He got into because Joel Hofer was pulled. So that's is that right? I'm pretty sure because I think that was before. That was before. That was before. I was going to say because I know he uh, uh, Hofer finished that Florida Panthers game, but yeah, this is starting with Chicago on November 26. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So, but here's the thing, Jordan Bennington. We've learned is going to go through these dry spells in the middle of the season. It happens, and it happens to all goaltenders if you're not Vasilevsky or some of these top guys. We used to talk about it all the time with Jake Allen, how, hey, he goes through his January slumber, send him down to Cabo, he'll come back in February, he'll be fine, but for January, he ain't going to be on his game. And that's not a bad thing, because there's one thing we know about Jordan Bennington. When he's well-rested, and when you get down into the final stretch of the regular season into the postseason, he's winning you hockey games. He's stealing you games. We've learned that Jordan Bennington can be a regular season goaltender the first chunk of the season. Frankly, he was the best that he's seen probably in his NHL career at the start of a season this year. So right now, we're recognizing that Jordan Bennington is going to have to have some days off. You're going to have to utilize your backup goaltender probably somewhere between 35 to 40 starts so that Jordan Bennington isn't playing 60 to 65 games in a season. He's not Yusei Soros. He's not Connor Hellebuck. He's not Andre Vasilevsky. He's the best of that middle group of goaltenders that you're going to play 40 to 45 games. And if you're giving him rest, which is what Drew Bannister's doing right now, he had the break. He'll play Friday against Colorado, and then Joel Hofer will go back in against the Pittsburgh Penguins on Saturday. I don't think that's a bad thing for Jordan Bennington. You need to make sure that he is in the right mindset and ready to go at the most crucial times. So I would also add this. I think it's important if you're in Drew Bannister's spot to play the guys that are deserving of being out there. And that doesn't always happen. Whether it's an interim head coach, the actual head coach, whoever, the best players, the most deserving players, do not always get the most playing time. They are not always the guys that start this game coming out of the break. And for Drew Bannister, if he's been anything, he's been consistent. Yeah, absolutely. He said on day one, this is how I'm going to operate as the head coach of the Blues. And he's stuck to that. And that's important, man. Players will respond to it. Now, that doesn't mean he's a great coach. It doesn't mean that these decisions are all going to work out. It doesn't even mean that all the players are going to like it. I have no idea how Bennington reacted when he walked into the uh, room today and probably saw Hofer's name on the starter's net. And he's probably not thrilled, I would have to imagine. That's pure speculation by me. But I can't imagine. He's a competitor. He wants to be out there, right? Mm Mm-hmm. But he's going to live with it because he will know he'll probably have a conversation at some point either today or uh, in the next few hours. Like, they're going to sit down and Bannister is going to say, Hofer's been better. If you want to be the guy that gets games like this and you want to be the guy that gets the first game and then the second of the back-to-back, go be better. Go earn it. Yeah. And if you do, Bannister has shown, I'll put you right back out there. I'll stick with you. I'm going to go with whoever gives us the best chance to win. And right now, for better or worse, in late December, the answer for the guy that gives you the best chance to win tonight might be Joel Hofer. I don't expect that to still be the case when we get to February. I don't expect that to be the case in three weeks. But for today, I think it's smart. I think it's the right way to operate. And I think it gets him a little bit of cachet inside of that locker room when those guys that are looking around... They can all see the same things that we do, man, and they see that Benner's been struggling lately. There's nothing wrong, and people are going to hear this and think, well, he's an average goaltender. No, look, there's nothing wrong with having a goaltender who has his downs in season, but you know when he's at his best, 
he's one of the best goaltenders in the National Hockey League. In the first 10 games of the season, he had a 930 save percentage. He showed you that, look, this is a guy that at the front, at the front of the season, he's going to be able to pick up some games for you and keep you in. He goes through a stretch where that next 10-game stretch, we're talking about somebody who dipped to about a 905 save percentage. And now you're looking at somebody who is right around the 895 save percentage. You're a dry spell right now. But what Drew Bannister is doing is continuing the accountability that we've talked so much about. And Doug Armstrong had a quote about it earlier today. We'll hear more on pregame tonight talking about how Bannister is showcasing that accountability. And Army just basically said, look, as an organization, as a franchise that wants to start winning, you're going to have to have a coach who's willing to do this. And he's done it with Puchnevich. He said it about Jordan Cairo since the moment he took over. And now he's doing it with Jordan Bennington. And frankly, it's a good thing for Jordan Bennington because when we've seen him at his best, He's got somebody on the bench that's pushing him to play better because if he doesn't, he's not going to get into hockey games. And when he had Thomas Grice and when he had no disrespect to him, but Ville Husso in the first portion of his time here, Bennington was like, oh, I'm not going anywhere. I'm starting all of these games. But with Jake Allen and now with Joel Hofer, you're going to get better of Jordan Bennington. Yeah, and you'll get better of him just because he's fresher. Yes. Uh, if you have a guy that's starting 13 out of or 11 out of the 14 games, he's just... Eventually, his legs give out, yeah. man. And let's not take anything away from Joel Hofer, too. Like, we've seen Joel Hofer at his best, and he's a very capable goaltender to win you hockey games, and you need him it's going. It's the variance in his game that's frustrating. That's because he's a young goalie. Well, like, that happens. Vili Husso. Vili Husso exactly. was the exact same way. So, the Blues back in action tonight. Blues versus the Dallas Stars. This is the beginning of what is a very difficult stretch uh, for St. Louis. Dallas, Colorado, Pittsburgh, and then Vancouver, Carolina, Florida, New York, Boston, and Philly, who has been pretty good this year. And then Washington, who's really started to heat things up. They are playing much better lately, despite Alex Ovechkin having quite the scoring drought. They're playing better hockey. You got back-to-back against them. This is a brutal stretch. Over the next three weeks, the Blues are going to go up against most of the best teams in the NHL. We're going to learn a lot about them over this stretch. And Alex, depending on what their record looks like, we might see this be the start of what ends up getting them into contention. And if they do, I don't know that we'll see Jimmy Snuggery by the end of the year. But if they hover around 500 and you get to, you know, March, and you've got an opportunity to get a young guy some playing time here, we talked about this a little bit yesterday with Jeremy Rutherford asked him, hey, do you, do you think we could see Jimmy Snuggery, who we're watching right now in the, uh, the World Juniors, at some point this season, he said, yeah, he said he thinks that you will see a little bit of snugs. What is your expectation on when we will see the the arrival of the top prospect in the blue system? I think you're going to see him at the end of Minnesota's season. And I don't know how long that's going to be. Last year, they were a really good team. Um, and Matthew Nice, the top prospect for the Toronto Maple Leafs came over and played three regular season games and then played in the playoffs for them. I'd say that's the exact same thing you're going to see with Jimmy Snuggerud. Maybe more of the games in the regular season. Now, what will happen, if I'm not mistaken, is they'll bring him on on a tryout basis so that they don't burn a year of his entry-level contract. So he'll come in as a PTO, and then he'll join the team, and then he'll play in a couple of games, and then next season will be that entry-level status. But I do expect Jimmy Snuggerud, whether this team's fighting for a playoff spot or whether they're out of the playoffs, I expect Jimmy Snuggerud to be a part of this team because this is that next step. Doug Armstrong had the the great interview with Curbs on Curbside talking about how you know they debated if if they wanted Snuggerud to go back and ultimately it was his decision but they said it's good for him to go back this year because the talent's not around him he's got to figure out how to be the top player on his team that's the next step 
before you go to the NHL. And he'll come to the NHL, he'll play a few games. If he sticks, then he's just going to continue that growing process. And if not, then you start in the AHL next year. But Jimmy Snuggerud will turn pro at the end of this season because he's showcasing all of his abilities. And at this point in his career, I'm not sure there's anything else you can do at the college level or at the World Juniors. According to Jeremy Rutherford, Doug Armstrong heading to the World Junior Championships in Sweden tomorrow. So he will be in attendance uh, to be able to watch some of those young players. The Blues have seven of them yeah. that are participating in the World Junior Champions Championship. Excuse me. With Alex Ferrario and Bradford Browns, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, let's dive into some NFL quick hitters, including multiple teams that have made a decision to change their starting quarterback. One of them, the headliners, the Denver Broncos. What's going to happen next for Russell Wilson? We'll talk about it here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. All right, let's dive into some NFL quick hitters alongside Alex and Bradford. I'm Brandon Kylie. You've got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Alex, the big story in the NFL today is all the quarterback decisions that have taken place. Now, we'll get to the headliner here in just a moment, but Washington has decided, you know what, Kobe Brissett, you're our best guy. Can't blame him there. Yeah, it's the right decision. Sam Howell was not the guy, has not been the guy, should not be the guy, is not yeah. going to be the guy. The New York Giants have come to their senses and decided, uh, you know what, this Tommy DeVito thing, it was fun for a little bit. Go ahead and go to the bench, though. This is not working any longer. We're going to go ahead and uh, not have you as our starter anymore. So those two teams made a change. But the one that everybody's talking about, Alex, is the Denver Broncos, who have decided we're done with this Russell Wilson experience. (sighs) Because if he gets hurt in the final two games of the regular season, we are on the hook for his entire salary next year. He's got some guarantees that kick in. Alex, this seems to suggest they're moving on. They're done with him at the end of the season. They're going to go their separate ways. They would take on a $50 million charge next year if they decided to cut him. Where do you think Russell Wilson goes from here? What what happens next? He's 36 years old next year. Is somebody going to sign him as a starter? What what happens no. with Russ? I don't think he's a starter. I think if he gets signed, he's signed as like a backup, like what Geno Smith was before we got the starting role. Uh, frankly, I think he's done. If you're Russell Wilson, you're probably done. I mean, you're married to Sierra. You have a great life. You've played the NFL. You won Super Bowls. If you're him, is it really worth continuing if you're going to be a backup? A competitor, man. I get it, but can you be a competitor I, as I a backup? I don't think he's going to be a backup. I think there's too many teams that are needing a, are quarterback needy that I think he would end up getting another opportunity. And I mean, look at the guys that are starting in the NFL. I right get now. it, but who's going to take on a guy that struggled in his final two years of Seattle and then struggled his entire time in Denver? Tennessee? Could they do it? I mean, I, I don't Tennessee, know how I, they feel about Will Levis right yeah. now, but maybe maybe they would do it. Is he a better um, option than what Ryan Tannehill was for you this year? Exactly. Because I think they're the exact same quarterback. I think that's fair, but sometimes it's just change for change sake, yeah. right? Like the Cardinals... Are you better right now with Lance Lynn than you would have been with Jack Flaherty? Yeah, the, I don't know, but it's change for change sake. You have to do something thing, different. If I'm if Mike Vrabel's still the head coach there, I don't know if I want to take that risk. More than because that that's a that's a job killer right there. But so the the Falcons are they a team that could look into Man, if him? I'm the Falcons, I'm going to do everything I can possible to get a quarterback in this year's draft. I'm with you, but we know how they operate, and that's they intriguing. are not particularly bright. Uh, the New England Patriots, could they go with a quarterback in the first round this year? We know how Bill Belichick is if he's the coach. Yeah. Do they decide, hey, one year with Russell Wilson, he'll be our stopgap the way that we did it with Cam Newton after Tom Brady left, 
and then we'll get the the rookie in here to start the following season. Like those are the kinds of things that I think you could see. Maybe yeah. a Pittsburgh, maybe he goes out there and gets an opportunity there. Th those kinds of teams that are in transition right now, I could see something like that. The word stopgap is the operative one there because correct me if I'm wrong, guys. Yes, the Broncos have proceeded to slide down the stretch. They've lost three or four, but this season, I would contend that Wilson hasn't played nearly as poorly as he fine. did in 2022. But this is more about giving the key. Sean Payton did inherit this situation and now putting his official imprint on the organization moving forward. We all know about the dead money charges that could be incurred. It just makes sense. You're not going anywhere this season. You're in the mix. So what? Seven and eight, it's over. Yeah, I, I understand why they're moving on. I also think it would be more than reasonable for a team to decide that he's the guy that they want to move on with. Like if the Raiders are probably not going to be in a great spot this offseason to go out there and get a quarterback in the draft because they're winning too much. Could he be an answer for them for one year as a stopgap? Basically be for them what they thought Jimmy Garoppolo was going to be this year? I could see something like that. Yeah. Um, but it's going to be a team like that that doesn't get you excited. Nobody looks at it and says to themselves, ah, oh, they're going to be a real contender now. Watch out for the Russell Wilson-led Tennessee Titans. No, nobody's going to think that. But I think Russ is fine. I think at this point in his career, that's all he is. Nothing more and nothing less. If he is your starting quarterback, he's a caretaker for a year, and you move on after the season. Man, if likely. I'm a coach, though, I look at that as I'm going to lose my job. Maybe. <laughs> I'm going to lose my job because of Russell Wilson. All right, next thing up here. Speaking of the Raiders, Alex, I went back and, unfortunately, rewatched the Bron or the, the Chiefs versus the Raiders game last night to oh, figure you like out torture. what in God's name went wrong for the Chiefs. Man, some of it was as simple as that Raiders defense – is playing their asses off right now. They are flying to the football. And some of that's because the Chiefs are highly predictable and they've got a lot of problems on that offense. I understand all of those things. But you look at the way that they've played defensively since they had Antonio Pierce take over as the head coach. Been pretty good, man. Allowed six points against the Giants. Allowed uh, 12 points against the Jets. 20 points against the Miami Dolphins. Pretty damn good against that offense. Gave up three against the Minnesota Vikings. And then decided to let 21 against the Chargers, but that game was over in the first half against Easton Stick. And then this week, shut down the Kansas City Chiefs. Have you seen enough from Antonio Pierce that you think he should be the head coach next year in Las Vegas? I'd give him a shot. I absolutely would. Now, it depends on who else is out there. If I feel like there's a better head coach available to me, their biggest problem is figuring out what the hell you're going to do with a quarterback. So, yeah. like, Antonio Pierce got the best out of this team with Aiden O'Connell. So, I would absolutely give him a shot. But if I go out there and make a trade to bring in a quarterback or draft a really good quarterback, I might consider a coaching change because I want somebody to step in at the same time as my new quarterback. But if not, yeah, I'd look at Antonio Pierce. I think I like him. If anything, I, I would hire him. If anything, I'd give him a defensive coordinator job. Yeah, I, I think he's earned it. I really do. And I, I normally don't fall for these interim head coach things. I th There's something about him as the head coach with the Raiders that – feels right feels right the resume's on the grass right yeah. and i think you understood it when, wasn't for jeff saturday <laughs> when he took over momentarily that you would get that defensive tenacity crosby is one of the most transformative players on that side of the football in the entire national yeah, football league so but if you were to surround just think about this next season in that division a division that is looking increasingly topsy-turvy a lot of uncertainty there if you surround pierce as your head coach he takes on more of that ceo style position with some offensive ingenuity and you figure out how not to waste Devontae Adams, you may have enough pieces there. 
by supplementing. I could see that. He grew up a Raiders fan. He talked about this whenever he first got that opportunity there as the interim head coach. I I don't he, know if it would work, but he, I, I I think it's worth a shot, man. His career screams Raiders, though. Like yeah. a grindy defensive player that was always tough to go up against. Like he screams a Raider. I, I think he makes a lot of sense for them. Uh, I I kind of like it. I, Seems I think like it a stopgap gap, stop gap too, where you get them for a couple of years to get the team right, and then when you're ready to start competing, you bring somebody in. Maybe. I, he might be good, though. Like, I think we also have to be open to the idea that he's he's a good coach. I, I don't know yeah. that he is, but I, he's got the I'm buy at least in. open to it. That's for exactly. sure. You need the buy, and that's the first thing you need as a coach. All right, next thing up, NFL Quick Hitters here on 101 ESPN. Guys, I saw this yesterday, the advanced nerdy numbers. Something called a DVOA, Alex. Oh, my God. Is Basically, like the bacon? wins above replacement for the NFL is, is what this is. According to this one metric, the Baltimore Ravens are the fourth best team since 1981. Who were the other four? The top three teams since 1984, according to this metric, the 2007 Patriots, the 1991 Washington at that time, racial slurs, and the 1985 Chicago Bears. Oh, my God. Third on the list, or excuse me, fourth on the list? No. The Baltimore Ravens. You know who number five is? The Baltimore Ravens. The San Francisco 49ers from this year. This year. Oh, recency bias. Do you guys feel like no. we are watching two of the five best teams in the last 40 years? Oh, serious <laughs> question. No. I don't God, no. How is this possible? If you What's going on? If you would have told me that in the first couple of weeks of the season with Baltimore, I would have laughed you out of the building. And now we're saying that after Brock Purdy threw four interceptions and Sam freaking Darnold took over for this him. This is ridiculous. This is so stupid. I don't understand. This is why I hate analytics. It's a stupid thing in sports. Now, all of the other teams on this list like make a lot of sense to me. I mean, we're talking about the 99 Rams, the 1995 San Francisco 49ers, the 2010 Patriots, the 94 Cowboys, the 2012 uh, Seattle Seahawks that had the Legion of Boom. Like, all of these teams I'm looking at, I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I remember that team. Remember... You can get the hell Am out of I here, gonna though. Am I going to remember the 2023 <laughs> no. Baltimore Ravens as an all-time great team that I'm going to be telling Luca about? Hell no. You can get, I'm going to be talking about the 07 Pats that didn't yeah. lose in the regular season. I'm going to be talking about the Bears. 85 Bears. Like, what is it that you're going to tell your kids about from this team? You don't want to remember most of NFL football in 2023. We're taking two teams from this particular it's year insanity. of pedestrian you can, football. You could get the hell out of here if you're going to tell me that this Baltimore Ravens team is better than the 99 Rams team. Yeah, no, it's nonsense. You, you, With Isaiah Likely and Gus Edwards. You can't even tell me that this team is better than like a couple of the recent New England Patriots or Kansas City Chiefs or even the LA Rams team I, that won the Super Bowl. Like, I don't I, even think this Baltimore Ravens team is better than this year's Buffalo Bills team. <laughs> what I about, think Buffalo could beat them in the playoff round. What about the Ray Lewis-led Ravens from 15 yes, years ago? Yes, please, please, 100%. any day, any day. Get the I, hell out of here. None of this makes any sense to me. I don't understand it. And I, I think, Alex, if I had to give a hypothesis on why this is happening... I think the rest of the league is so bad this season yeah. that by comparison, you have had two teams that have emerged that are just so far and away, head and shoulders better than everybody else in the league, that they look amazing. But when you actually look at them compared to the other teams in different years and you compare them to their peers, they're they're not up there with the, the greatest show on. If you got a nickname as a team, 
You're better than this yeah. year's team. What's the nickname for the Baltimore Ravens? If you're the Steel Curtain, like you're better than this team. If you're the the Purple People Eaters, you're oh. better than this team. Downright disrespectful. The it's the mint the monsters of the midway better than this team anybody that yeah. had a, a a nickname by the way do we do nicknames anymore well i do nicknames all the time you the just tell me a football team in the nfl that had a nickname i do alliteration nicknames a little we harder know, Brad, you yeah, do <laughs> hold <laughs> on he does alliterations <laughs> stop the presses what was what was the last team like i just talked about the 07 pats i don't yeah uh, like probably a, the legion of boom Oh, there you go. That's probably the last one. But now I, because of Jamie Rivers, every time I hear Legion of Boom and the the uh, on the record with the Seattle Seahawks, now I just think of something other than football. You know, because the brothers got caught oh, yeah, with yeah, the yeah. teammates, yep. wife, in the yeah, hotel Legion room. Legion of Boom, I, I think that's the most recent example of this. Mm-hmm. And they gave that to themselves. So, <laughs> Can we you need, give yourself a nickname? We need somebody to, to come up with a nickname. Somebody should nickname the 2023 Baltimore Ravens. Then we'll uh, remember how, them fondly. I got one mediocre. <laughs> they're good man. sorry sorry that's you're unfair. right he's alex ferrario that's bradford bruns i'm brandon kiley it's bk and ferrario here on 101 espn coming up next so i put out the poll yesterday alex on the proposal that would have been the equivalent for the cardinals to what reportedly the white Sox are asking of the cincinnati reds if they trade them dylan cease and people got big mad at me 60 percent of them said Mm-mm. I am not trading Tim Kentz, Gordon Graceffo, Thomas Ajaycee, and Zach Thompson for Dylan Cease. It's a lot. I understand that. But why are people so hesitant to make that kind of a deal? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. fans interested in making the big move or not it's something that i'm trying to figure out in my own head right now alongside alex ferrario and bradford bruns i'm brandon kiley it's bk and ferrario here on 101 espn i'm not saying you're wrong for this cardinals fans i'm not i promise you i am curious as to where our hesitation is though if the need is very clear gotta go get a number one starter everybody agrees with that right And there are seemingly number one starters that are available. We know Dylan Cease is available. We believe that one of the Marlins pitchers could become available. Maybe it's Jesus Luzardo. You can have your discussions on whether or not he's a number one starter or not, but potentially available. Framber Valdez, there's at least some rumors of the possibility of him getting moved this offseason. Alex's guy is and always has been Logan Gilbert up in Seattle. So potential names that are out there. Alex, let's use Dylan Cease as the placeholder because he's the only guy that we know for sure is available right now. And there was a report yesterday on what the asking price is, at least from Cincinnati's side, for Dylan Cease. The report was a lot, but it was mostly prospects. Guys that are close or at or close to the big league level or that are top 100 prospects down in the lower portions of the system. The equivalent for the Cardinals would be something like Tink Kentz, Gordon Graceffo, Thomas Ajaycee, and Zach Thompson. So I posted that on Twitter yesterday. And after about 2,500 votes, 60% of the responses said, nope, I would not be interested in sending, hence Graceffo, Sejaci, and Thompson to the White Sox for Dylan Cease. I am just asking, Alex, why do you think that is? Again, I'm not saying that people are wrong because I would also be hesitant to send that much for Dylan Cease specifically. But... 
Do you think that is a scenario where people are hesitant on cease? Do you think it is a situation where people feel burned by how much they had to give up for Marcelo Zuna and don't want the same thing to happen now with the pitching side of things? Do you think it is something else entirely? Why do you think it is that 60% of the responses when this team has such a clear need and we get the text every day, everybody wants them to go get a number one starter. Why do you think it is that almost two out of every three responses were a no? I, I, I think it's twofolded. One, I think it is because of Dylan Cease. People hear that and they're like, well, Dylan Cease isn't a top pitcher. And uh, although I do fall into that category of thinking like, man, is he really the guy that you want? Because I'm not sure if he's an ace but what I am sure of is the guy's got 200-plus strikeouts in three straight seasons. He's thrown over 160 innings in three straight seasons. He's given you 32 starts in three straight seasons. And in that conversation of the strikeouts, he's top 10 in strikeouts in Major League Baseball each of those three seasons. So, I mean, he might not be considered an ace in some people's eyes, but he's pitching like a number one. So I, I'm not sure what else you're looking for in the Dylan C. So I think that's one side of it. But I do think the other side of it is Cardinals fans get way too attached to prospects. Because I think if... Tink, I don't even think you have to say Cardinals fans. Just fans. fans in general. Well, but but see, like, I think there's other teams with fan bases that when a player, when, when prospects are traded away, it's like, yeah, okay, sure. Because we're bringing in better pieces. But for some reason, when Cardinals fans hear the, the name Tink Hentz, we well, can't give him away. Because he's the next Sandy Alcantara. We don't really know if Tim Kentz is the next Sandy Alcantara. We don't know if he's the next Jack Flaherty. Yeah, we don't. He might be the next Alex Reyes to where he's a bust for you. Here's the thing. If you take Tim Kentz's name out of this conversation, Cardinals fans would be like, sure. Gordon Graceffo, Thomas, the JC, Zach Thompson for Dylan C's. Do that in a heartbeat. The problem is that that name Tim Kentz, where everyone's like, no, 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 that's too much to give up. But you're trading Tim Kentz for somebody who is already what you hope Tink Kentz is going to be, if you take Dylan Cease's name out of this trade proposal and enter Framber Valdez, Logan Gilbert for that package, I think Cardinals fans would be all for it. But if you also take Tink Kentz's name out of it and keep Dylan Cease's name, I also think Cardinals fans would be like, yeah, sure, that's that's perfect. I feel like there's a lot going on here. Like there's a, there's a number of different explanations from different... I, I think all of these for certain people is the explanation. I think for some people they say... Look at what happened with Marcelo Zuna. We're just doing the same thing all over again, but this time for a pitcher instead of for a position player. Because you're sending all of your pitching, and those pitchers are going to go be good elsewhere, and you're going to be stuck without the pitching that you need two, three, four, five years from now. That's one explanation, potentially. I think there's another segment of people that are like what you just said there, Alex, that are saying, hey, I just don't want to do that for Dylan Cease. There's another segment of the fan base, though, that it's not Tinkins, it's not Dylan Cease, it's Thomas Sejaci <laughs> that is preventing them from making Somebody this Somebody texted and said, replace Sejaci with Brendan Donovan. And what? I think Thomas Sejaci might be really good, dude. He has hit at every level. Like, if you want to talk production in the minor leagues, that dude has it in spades. He might end up being great. Kind of like Brendan Donovan is. Yeah. And that's the thing that I have trouble with when it comes to trading prospects. I know Brendan Donovan's good. I know Nolan Gorman is good. I know Jordan Walker is good. I know Dylan Cease is good. I have no idea what Tinkins is going to be. I don't know if Gordon Graceffo is ever going to be a major league starting pitcher. I don't know if Zach Thompson is going to be a guy that at any point in his Cardinals career, you expect 20 plus starts out of him in the regular season. I have no idea. And I don't know if Thomas DeJacy is 
ever going to be a starter here in St. Louis. I don't know. So for those reasons and so many more, I think this is an overpay for D for Dylan Cease. I'm not as high on Dylan Cease as many others are. I would prefer to get Framber Valdez. I would prefer to get Logan Gilbert. I think I would prefer Jesus Lazardo potentially. But I think he's really good. And I think if you had him as a game one or a game two starter, he's giving you a fighting chance going up against whoever the opposition is. I think most teams that are legit contenders have better number one starters than Dylan Cease, but he's good. He's really good, and he's got great strikeout stuff. I probably would make this deal. And the reason why is what you said about Tinkent specifically, Alex. That's the prize. The crown jewel of this would be Tinkent as the headliner. Dude, last year? In double A, and this is not me discounting him as a prospect. I think he might be really good down the road. He's 20 years old. He's still incredibly young. He had a 5 5 ERA, man. <laughs> he struck out basically a batter per inning. Now, I think we might be two or three years away from him being a significant part of your rotation. And if you're willing to wait for that, by all means, totally fair. I don't blame you for it. But I think it is. As likely, if not more likely at this point, that Tinkens ends up being a closer for you as it is that Tinkens ends up being a frontline starting pitcher for you. And those are the things that I don't think we weigh enough. Like, if you're looking at the spectrum of, hey, what is the 90th percentile outcome for Tinkens? It's that he's probably like a number two starter on a really good team. What is the median outcome, though? What is the most likely outcome for Tinkens? It's probably that he's a mid-rotation starter for somebody. Right. And it might actually be, like, either a mid-rotation starter or back end of the bullpen, depending on what you think is more important for that specific team, right? That's probably the most likely outcome for Tinkins, given where he's at right now in his development. That's a really good outcome for any starting pitching prospect, is to be able to have that for him at the age of 20 years old, where he's cost-controlled, really talented, young player. But am I trading that for somebody that I think is right now a number one or a number two starter with multiple years of control? And over the next two years, I'm spending $16 million, $20 million for him? Hell yeah, I am, dude. Absolutely, I am. Because this market is starved for a winner. And this market has Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado. I'm not waiting for Tinkens, man. I'm trying to win now. And my job, if I'm John Mozeliak, is to find the next Tink Hintz in this year's draft. Yeah. When you're drafting in the top five, go get the next dude that you think could be here even quicker than Tink Hintz can. My job is to make sure that TK Roby ends up being as good or better than Tink Hintz is. That's where you end up being able to restock your pitching prospects. But am I stopping my ability to go out there and get a front-end starting pitcher because I'm afraid that Tink Hintz is coming back to bite me? No, I can't operate that way. I've got to be able to replace the guys that I trade for what I need right now. Yeah, and so here's the thing, too. Like, for every guy that you're giving up in this put, put hypothetical trade, you've got somebody who replaces them. Like, you've got Tink Hens in the trade. You've got TK Roby, who's expected to be somebody with that high ilk. You're giving up a Gordon Graceffo. you got Michael McGreevy everybody was super excited about. And honestly, I don't care about Thomas Sejaci. You didn't even have Sejaci before you traded for him, and who knows where this guy's going to play. If Nolan Gorman's here, if Brendan Donovan's here, if Tommy Edmonds in your outfield, you don't have a spot for Thomas Sejaci. You don't need another bench bat. Or The a... most likely outcome for the next few years is that he's a utility infielder yeah, for you. And you know what's great when you have these guys in your system 
They're pieces that you can trade for something that you have deficits. That's what all the great teams do. When they have a bulk of one area and they're weak in one area, they say, well, let's trade our bulk and get better in the area we're weak at. Look at the Dodgers. Look at what they just did. They just traded a guy who I think is probably going to be a mid-rotation starter in Ryan Pepio from their rotation to the Rays. Why? Because we got Tyler Glass now. Like, why do we need Pepio when we've got Tyler Glass now for the next five years? And they locked him up. Exactly. And that's what I think the Cardinals should do with the starter that they go out there and acquire if they only have a year or two of control remaining. Um, If you look at what the Phillies have done in previous years, they go out there and they make the moves that are necessary, right? They go get the talent that is available to them. Like, that's, that's where the Cardinals should be at right now. The Cardinals should be at a place where they are pushing to try to get the guy that unlocks the rest of this roster. The other thing that I think is so important to take into account here is everything else in your rotation starts to make so much more sense yeah. once you get that number one or number two starter in there. If you've got pitcher X, whoever that guy is, Valdez, Luzardo, um, Dylan Cease, whoever, right? And then you go Sonny Gray, and then you go Miles Michaelis, and then you go Kyle Gibson, and then you go Lance Lent. Dude, that is a contending rotation. What you have right now is a rotation that can win the division. What you have, if you go get that one other starter to put at the front end, now you've got a team that can contend. It's like going through a lineup in the NHL and not having a number one defenseman. Good luck. You can't win that way. Mm-hmm. Craig Button has told us that a number of times. Like, Once you let Alex Petrangelo walk, you're always trying to find the next Alex Petrangelo. If you don't have a number one goalie, you're always trying to find that guy. If yep. you don't have a quarterback, well, that receiver that you have doesn't matter because he ain't getting the ball. So... That's where the Cardinals are at right now. They don't have the one thing that you need in order to win in October. So, yeah, if I got to trade prospects to get it, I'm willing to do that. The thing that stops me is trading Nolan Gorman or potentially Brendan Donovan. That's what would scare me. Yeah. Because I know those guys are good and at the, the major league. And the only reason I say trade Nolan Gorman is for Logan Gilbert. Because look at the years of control you have of a young, cheap, top starting pitcher. That's where the Nolan Gorman comes into the conversation. Now, I say all of that, and then I will add this as my disclaimer at the end. I do think this is too much for Dylan Cease. Like, would I want to make this deal? No. If I'm the Cardinals and that's what's presented to me, my initial reaction is no. If they say, hey, we've got our final offer from another team and the only way you can beat it is by making this trade, I probably end up saying yes. My initial reaction would be no. You know how you don't give up trades like this and feel like you're giving up too much for one thing? You draft and develop better. And the Cardinals aren't good at it, so you're going to have to do something. Coming up in about 10 minutes or so, was it always inevitable that this was going to be the way that things ended for the Kansas City Chiefs? We'll talk about it coming up here in just a little bit. But coming up next, let's dive into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alex and Bradford, I'm BK. Let's dive into the junk drawer in about 30 minutes or so. We'll dive, we will uh, talk with the voice of the blues, Chris Kerber, here on 101 ESPN, as we do each and every Wednesday. Alex, I have uh, begun the preparation for a development that we're going to be doing at our house next year, in which we will be finishing our basement. Uh-oh. And I've started doing a little bit of research into what this undertaking is going to be. And I'm not totally sure that I'm prepared for this, if I'm going to be honest with you. So my dad does a lot of this stuff for a living, right? He he goes in and 
He has people that are investors. They go in and buy homes. He goes in and does all of the work. So he kind of right? flips homes. He's a contractor. He's a contractor okay. for the people that are the angel investors. They go buy the homes. He does all the work on them. So he's going to be doing the majority of the, the actual work. I don't think I realized how much work this entails. <laughs> so we're doing new flooring. We're putting up the walls. We're doing a new uh, ceiling. Like it's partially finished as is. But the flooring's bad. I mean, the house is built in like 1965. It's, <laughs> it's time for some, some renovations downstairs. Have you done anything like this? Yes. Yeah, so our- oh, If so, what was your experience? <laughs> so our first house we lived in, we wanted, like the basement was just like a, a dungeon. Like it was asbestos flooring and ceiling. It was cement walls. It was a dungeon. And we wanted to have a basement. And so we weren't gonna be able to do anything with the asbestos flooring or ceiling. So that was what it was. And the cement walls, you can't really do much because you put drywall up over those. Well, that's going to be more of a problem. So all we did was we put flooring down to make it a little bit more like livable. And it made a massive difference. Yeah. But then we had our flooding problem and had to take the floor back up. And I'm so happy we didn't have the drywall. So like that was our first house. We just did the bare minimum with it because it's like, whatever, we can live in it. It's got the walls. It's got the ceiling. We'll be fine. Our next house, we wanted to make sure we had a basement. And we just lucked out that it was finished. My brother-in-law just did a complete overhaul of his basement. Just finished it himself. It took him like eight months. Oh, it took him a long time. Oh, now I, he's I was not thinking a, like a week. Oh God, take no. off now, a week. Well, you're we'll be able to do it together. Your dad's we'll a contractor, done, right? so you might be able to. He's not a contractor. He just like does it himself. Sure. Um, he just do like a job a day kind of thing. Pretty much. He did the drywall. He did the baseboards. He did the carpet. He did the ceilings. He, it was a lot. Now his basement was bigger, sure. so there was a lot more to it. But yeah, it took him a lot. This isn't like a take a week off and be like, all right, new basement. <laughs> this took him forever, and then he had flooding problems. So make sure you don't have flooding problems. Somebody said this needs to be a docu series that ends up becoming available on the YouTube oh, yeah. page. We'll see. I feel like that's one of those where like you got to find out what the ending is first before you well, release and anything. And how much illegal like, stuff are you going to be doing in your basement too? Like, well, these wires can go here. So everything's already wired. Like that's the thing so that's nice. you don't have nice. to do any of that. Like lights up or that. two? Lights are ready to oh, go. Well, like, that shouldn't take you too most long. Most of it is good to go, but we got to like, I, one thing that we have to decide is how much are we leaving in and how much are we tearing down it? What do you mean? So like we have to put in new flooring for sure. That's but, gotta be. So are you like out. going like are you going carpet or are you going like hardwood? We're going LVT. Okay, so, so the, the simple stuff. So that's uh, that shouldn't take very long. Sure, I did that in Luca's room. Like yeah. I know how to do. We did our basement in, in, a, that in a night. Sure. The walls are the thing that we've got to figure out. Drywall like, takes a lot. There's holes in some of the walls that are downstairs because the drywall is is there in a portion of it, but we do have the concrete slab as the out, outer rim, and we got to decide, okay, are we going to go ahead and insulate this? Are we doing that, or are we just leaving those up and painting over it? It's, a, it's just a lot of decisions, man. You're, a lot of big decisions that I don't know if I'm fully prepared to make. From, from my, my understanding life. with this, and again, I am nowhere near a, a expert on this, but my understanding is you're best to start fresh. So like if some walls you're not sure if they should be up, just take them all down and start fresh. Because you working around certain walls that you're like, ah, this one's fine. It's going to be more of a disaster and more time consuming than it would be of just fresh drywall right. from one side to the other. All right. So what you're saying is just go for it. Uh, what I'm saying is you better not down and tear it to the studs. What I'm saying is you better not uh, use all of your vacation days before you start this project because you're probably going to need to use a lot of those right. when you start. Right. I, I think nine days. I think if we did like we started out on a Saturday, <laughs> I take off the following week and we're done by the next Sunday. I think we could get it done. You and your dad. Yes. 
think we can get it done. Yeah, I think just me. Even if it's just me. Oh, no. No, God, no. No, no. No, no. God, no. No, no. Uh, somebody said, I finished an unfinished, unfinished basement several years ago. What a project. I did all of the work for roughly 1,800 square feet from scratch. It That's took awesome. me two years by doing it over weekends and nights. I had zero experience. Hey, props to you, 618, because zero experience to do all of that, which two years, I mean, my God, man, but... Props to you because I always want to do stuff like that, but I know I'm not talented enough. I've watched some YouTube series. Hey, me so too, far. man. <laughs> me too, man. And you know what? I I uh, I took floor out of our bathroom and laid new tile floor down, and I felt so, like I should start my own uh, home improvement show after we can doing do it that. Together, we'll start the uh, no, Mustachios I, and Mustachios show, and that's a podcast that you ished on. So no, you're not allowed uh, to be no, a part no, of. We'll of do it together. Mike Ryder's a part of my 1st. Pistachios and Mustachios now. He's Alex. That's Bradford. I'm BK. Coming up in about 30 minutes or so, the voice of the blues, Chris Kerber, will join us here on the show. But next. Was it always inevitable that this was coming for the Kansas City Chiefs? When you look back historically at some of the teams that were in similar spots to them, I think the answer might be yes, even though it hurts. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Listen, I don't want to talk about this just as much as you guys don't want to hear it from me. And I promise you, this is not me being sour grapes. We got to talk about the Chiefs. Their story nationally, their story locally, we got to talk about them. And Alex, I think the common response, the reaction this week after the Chiefs lost to the Raiders, which is a fair one, is, wow, can you believe that this team has created so badly the year after they had such a great season replacing Tyreek Hill and winning the Super Bowl. Can you believe that they've cratered this way? When the response should probably be, wow, it's amazing they had a five-year run as great as they did and that it didn't happen sooner. Alongside Alex and Bradford, I'm BK. So I was thinking about this this morning. Maybe this was inevitable because the Chiefs over the last five years, every single season since Patrick Mahomes took over, it became the Arrowhead Invitational for the AFC Championship game. All five years, they hosted the AFC Championship game. Nobody else has ever done that. The history of this game, nobody has accomplished what the Chiefs did in the first five years with Patrick Mahomes as their quarterback. An amazing run, objectively, by them. But you look back at some of the teams that you remember for each decade. They had runs like this, and it came to an end. The 1980s, the team that I'll remember from that era is the San Francisco 49ers, right? You look at that first run that they had with Bill Walsh and Joe Montana. It was basically a four-year stretch. They won the Super Bowl twice in that four-year stretch, lost in the conference championship game once. And then over the next three years, Alex, lost in the wild card round, lost in the divisional round, lost in the divisional round, and then got it back in another three-year stretch with Montana, won the Super Bowl, won the Super Bowl, lost in the conference championship game. But... There was a three-year transition period where they went 10 and 6, 10 and 5, and 13 and 2, but lost in the divisional round or earlier in all three seasons. You go to the 90s. Team that I'll remember from the 90s is the Dallas Cowboys, right? How about them Cowboys? That's where that comes from. 
92, 93, 94, 95, they went to the conference championship or won the Super Bowl all four seasons. Three out of the four won the Super Bowl, lost in the conference championship in 1994. But the next season, 1996, go 10 and 6 and lose in the divisional round. The next year, they go 6 and 10 and miss the playoffs. It's a four year run for the Dallas Cowboys, the team of the 1990s. Then you look back at the early 2000s, right? We all remember that is the sustained run by the New England Patriots. Was it though? Because they go to and win the Super Bowl in 01, 03, and 04. Missed the playoffs in 2002. Then they lose in the divisional round in 2005. That team went 10 and 6. Sound familiar? A little bit of a transition year there. Then they get things back. 06, go to the conference championship game. 07, undefeated regular season, go to the Super Bowl because they invested heavily in offense and said, hey, you know what? We're going to win a different way now. What has changed all of this? for everybody is what the Patriots did in the 2010s. That is what is now seen as the barometer of a successful franchise, and it's completely impossible to replicate. Alex, from 2011 to 2018, the Patriots at least made the AFC Championship game every single season. 2011 all the way to 2018 unprecedented levels of sustained success and so what we have done is it's almost like what we saw with the san antonio spurs where we're like that is how you sustain success in the nba yeah but nobody else has done it look at the patriots that is how you sustain success in the nfl yeah but nobody else <laughs> has done it before or since what we are seeing this year was always going to happen always these teams go through cycles when you have a quarterback at the front end of his career and you've got a group around him that is starting to transition. We are starting to see this team transition from the Mahomes and Kelsey iteration of the Chiefs to whatever the next version is going to be. I don't know who it is, but the whatever the next version is, it's probably going to start next year. And that's what we're watching. What we're witnessing is the beginning of the end of this version of the Mahomes Chiefs. I don't think they're done. I don't think they're going away much like the San Francisco 49ers didn't just go away in that three-year transitions period. They came back. They won a couple more titles, much like the new England Patriots. They didn't go away after that first three Pete thing that they did. They came back and they came back arguably even better. The second version of what that team was, but right now, yeah, it's going to be somebody else's run right now for a little bit. I don't know who it's going to be, but maybe it's multiple teams this year, maybe next I think you're going to see a transition from the Kansas City Chiefs. This was always going to happen. People are just surprised at how quickly it happened coming off of last year's team. Yeah, and it feels like it didn't have to happen because last year's team, they made it work with with certain receivers that at least you could depend on. And this year, it felt like they were relying on a ton of rookies or guys that, you know, if you squint hard enough. Here's the thing, though. How much does the... How much does the salary situation impact their ability to come out of it? Because, like... The Patriots were so good at finding those those least expensive players and get the best out of them because you had all of the money tied up and certain players that made you such a dominant team. Does this feel more like, for the Chiefs, what the Seattle Seahawks had to deal with? No, because they were built around defense. Yeah, Building around defense is unsustainable. You can't do it. You can do it for like a three- to four-year stretch, but, but this, then it's over. But this team's built around Patrick Mahomes' ability to throw the ball. Yeah, and those are the best teams that have ever played in the history of the sport. If you look at the teams that had sustained success in the NFL, whatever era, it doesn't matter the era, they were built around a quarterback. Every yeah. single one of them. If you remember a team that over a three- to ten-year stretch was dominant, 
the first player that you could think of from that team is probably the quarterback that went to a bunch of Super Bowls and probably won a bunch of them. So, no, I, I don't think that that's something that's going to hold them back. I do think I thought you were going to go a different route of the amount of the cap that Patrick Mahomes' salary accounts That's for, kind of what I was talking about there. That matters because it's harder to build around that than it was when he was on a rookie deal. It's just the reality. I think what people do, though, is they say it's impossible to build around it. And I totally disagree with that. I do not believe that it's a situation where you cannot build a champion around it. They did it last year. So it can be done. It's just harder. You got to hit on your draft picks. And if you miss, if you swing and miss in one offseason around a position as important as wide receiver, then this is what it looks like. And that's what happened. The Chiefs swung and missed at wide receiver in a huge way. And not enough people are talking about it. They also swung and missed at offensive tackle. Yeah. They went out this past offseason and decided mm. we're not paying Orlando Brown Jr., which I think was the right move. I don't think he was worth the contracts that he ended up getting in Cincinnati. We're going to get Donovan Smith as a stopgap, and we're going to go out and pay Jawan Taylor. And Jawan Taylor's been bad. So when you miss as big as they did at both tackle spots and at wide receiver, you can be average to below average at one of those two things. You cannot be bad at both of them. And that's what the Chiefs have been this year. You're exactly right about the scope of the entire offensive line, BK, because it's not just Jawan Taylor who leads the entire league in penalties. You have three of your linemen responsible being in the top 10 among those with the greatest number of holding penalties in the entire yeah, league. And, yeah, and, and going back to what you were saying as well about <laughs> the way in which some of these contracts are constructed and the rapid drop-off, speaking about individual performance and drop-off you've been operating for the last few years with a pretty team-friendly deal for one Travis Kelsey you have two more seasons of that and that is the one thing the element to me for which the Chiefs perhaps were most ill-equipped to deal with the decline there the wiggle the acceleration the yards after the catch okay they're there but at the same time he's simply not the same player he he got old in a hurry it happens He took a bunch of hits, and much like Rob Gronkowski, he's probably saving himself. He was hoping to save himself for the postseason, and it it went. (laughs) He's looking around right now, and he's like, man, I don't have my legs. I can't can't run the way that I used to be able to. And when you get into that spot, he looks more like Jason Witten right now than he does uh, George Kittle. Let's also remember, too, the guy came into the season injured. Yeah. So you played played through a ton of injuries already this season, not defending it because he does look old and different. But the guy did come into the season with with wrapped up ankles. If we're being honest, I think Patrick Mahomes has regressed. I don't think he looks as good this year. Like I think a lot of it is because of the weapons around him. A couple more catches by the receivers. He, He was a part of the problem as well. So it's... It's the tackles, it's the receivers, it's Mahomes responding to that and not playing his best either. Sounds it's like a Travis full-blown Kelsey rebuild. taking a step back as well. If you go out there this offseason and you overhaul the receiver core and you get one tackle in there that can help you, they're going to be fine. They're going to be right back into the Super Bowl conversation next year, much like all these other teams that we talked about not named the Cowboys because the Cowboys are the Cowboys. Every other team that was the team of their era, they had a sustained run, took a little bit of a break, and then came back with another version of themselves that ended up having another sustained run. I think the Chiefs will be back. But this year, this team can't win the Super Bowl, man. This team can't can't win a playoff game. I think they're capable of winning a game. I think they are way too flawed to win multiple games in a row against quality I think they're going to have to get the most ideal matchup to win a playoff game. You still get that first one at home, and it does mean something as a division winner. The most likely matchups right now for the Chiefs in the playoffs are the Bills... Or the Dolphins. I think they could beat the Dolphins. I, I I think they would be like a one-point favorite at home in that game. It'd be a pick 'em. 
But I think they've got like a 50% chance to win. I think Tyreek Hill makes Kansas City Chiefs fans regret that trade and if that's the playoff See, I matchup. There's, I will add this. I don't think there's anything Tyreek Hill can do the rest of his career that will make them regret it. They won a Super Bowl, man. Yeah. Flags, they won flags a Super forever. Bowl the next year. You're right. So it, it wasn't the Tyreek Hill trade that has led to this. It was the response after the Tyreek Hill trade of not being able to then go out and get not a replacement. You can't replace Tyreek one for one. But getting somebody that can catch the ball at an uh, upper echelon level, they, they just missed in a big way. All right, coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll talk to the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber, about the decision tonight to go with Joel Hofer in net. Also want to get his thoughts on the first five games under Drew Bannister. Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues, coming up at 1.30. But next, let's play a game of more likely to happen. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. More likely to happen here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. What's more likely to happen? They'll figure it out. PK and Ferrario's most likely to happen. And Bradford on BK 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service text line for more likely to happen. You give us two scenarios. We will tell you which one is more likely. Guys, more likely to fail to make it to the Super Bowl. The Ravens or the 49ers? Which one is more likely to not reach the Super Bowl? So to lose before getting there. I'll say it's the 49ers because I don't know if there's an AFC team that can beat Baltimore. Um, Maybe Buffalo, but man, I'm not sure about that one for how good that defense is. I I think both Dallas can give San Francisco a run for their money. I think Philadelphia in a playoff game could give them a run for their money. Heck, we talked about Detroit might be able to do that if they can stop Christian McCaffrey. Well, BK didn't, but who's the real football guy around here? This guy. (laughs) So I'll say it's Baltimore. This is a tough one because if you say San Francisco, I'm turning off your mic. No, quite literally, I am going to play into the wild card element here because I trust San Francisco on both sides of the football more. And I think the 49ers have been markedly better than the Eagles. I don't envision San Francisco not making it to the Super Bowl out of the NFC. Whereas I still do not distinctively know Lamar Jackson, when push comes to shove, is he going to be able to make the progressions, go through everything, and when he isn't allowed to purely improvise, can he potentially, yes, home field advantage aside, can he take the Ravens to the promised land? I need to officially see it. I wouldn't be surprised if a surprise team, wildcard style, were to knock off the Ravens. I just trust the Niners more. I do. I'm with uh, with Bradford. You both shut your mics off. You don't know football. Alex, they lost this year to Indianapolis, Pittsburgh, and the Cleveland Browns. Those are all at the beginning of the season. They lost to the Browns on November 12th. That was a fluke. It's nearly Thanksgiving, man. That was the fluke. I love Zay Flowers. Who else is going to make plays down the field? Isaiah Likely. They (sighs) went to overtime against the Rams two weeks ago. They were amazing this week against the 49ers. And it should not be a shock to anybody if they end up in the Super Bowl. They, They are the favorite right now for a reason, to get out of the AFC. But would it surprise me if they lose against Miami or Cleveland or Buffalo? No, absolutely not. It shouldn't surprise anybody. So, uh, hell, Cleveland beat them recently. You watch. You watch. I don't know, man. Baltimore is going to be too good at that time of the season. I I have a hard time seeing how the 49ers lose against any of these schmokes in the the NFC. I, I don't... 
it would not surprise me if the Baltimore Ravens find a way to lose. And Alex, what do you got? Ooh. More likely to happen, Jimmy Snuggerud or Zachary Bolduc score a goal this season for the Blues? Snuggerud. For sure. Like, no, no, not even a hesitation in my yeah, voice. I don't think Bolduc gets a game at the NHL level this year. I, I, from the way that Curbs made it sound, Doug Armstrong is perfectly content on keeping both of those kids in the minor leagues. I mean, we haven't seen a sniff of those two to call up yet. And I mean, before they get a call up, you're going to give Gaudette or Walker an opportunity for how they've played. I, I truly think Snuggerud is going to be playing in the top six role when his season ends with the University of Minnesota. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I, I say Snuggerud. Make it unanimous. This one seems like a slam dunk. I too will go with Snugs, as you affectionately called him. By the way, I, I would also Snuggie. add this. Somebody on our text line earlier said, guys, you can't bring up Jimmy Snuggerud or Bolduke if they're not playing in a top nine capacity there's a spot for them in they the did top it with nine. neighbors last year also I, I like you don't have to put them on your fourth line yeah you you don't need jimmy snuggerud to play there because you're not overstocked with guys that are in your top nine alexi torapchenko is playing every night right now in your top nine I was gonna say give me a name of somebody who deserves to play in the top nine over snuggerud yeah. or Bolduc. just move torapchenko back down to the fourth line which is going to be his long-term role and you can put him in the top nine it there is not a lack of opportunity yeah. here at the nhl level it's just a matter of if he's ready for it or not and based I, on everybody's account i think it seems the, like he is i think the world juniors are going to show you if he's ready because you're you're showcasing that you're better than all of the other players at your age level and that's the the biggest sign for a front office to say he's ready for the next level Guys, last night, Kansas picked up its ninth victory of the season, knocking off Barry Odom and UNLV. I want to spin it forward to 2024. Different conferences. Let's take into account the Jayhawks. And let's also look at another team playing tonight. We mentioned near the very beginning of the show, Louisville facing off against USC. Next year, more likely to happen, Kansas and a reconfigured Big 12 gets to nine victories again, or Louisville in a depleted ACC reaches double digits. What do you think? KU's bringing back a lot of their talent. Their running back decided he's going to be coming back next season. I thought you were going to ask about USC. I think it's more likely that KU gets to nine wins than USC yeah. gets to nine wins at, in the Big Ten next year. Sure, go that way. Uh, Louisville, I haven't seen what their schedule looks like next year, but I love their coach. I Both of these coaches I really like. I'll, I'll say out of the three, if I had to rank them, likelihood of getting to nine wins next year between USC, KU, and Louisville, I'd probably go Louisville 1, KU 2, USC 3. I think USC is the least likely to get to nine wins. Yeah, three. I would agree with that. I, I'll say more likely Kansas because if they're returning a lot of those players, I think they've made significant improvements. Now, who knows when it's the realigned uh, what you might call it, the conference, but I'll go with Kansas here. And next year, you actually hope to be able to utilize Daniels at quarterback in Lawrence. Keep in mind, he was the preseason yep. offensive player of the year for the Big 12. Didn't even register. Louisville schedule next year for those curious. Austin P. Jackson State to barn burners early on in the year. Uh, Notre Dame, Kentucky, Boston College. They got Clemson on the road. Yeah, they could get tonight. They can get to nine. So I'll, I'll stick with them as the uh, the more likely of the two to end up with nine wins next year. All right, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. More likely to happen, guys. The Cardinals re-sign Jordan Montgomery or trade for a starter at some point prior to opening day. Say those again. Sign Montgomery, trade for a starter before opening day. Those are the two. Those are the two. I thought Which there was another one. Um, I'll say trade for a starter before opening day. I don't think they're re-signing Montgomery. I think Montgomery is, if you're him, you're going to go to a team that gives you the best chance to win a World Series. 
And I also don't think the Cardinals are going to meet that asking price. They can't afford to meet that asking price. I could see them making a trade for somebody who could fit into their budget. Agreed. Agreed. The sh- yeah, the ship has sailed, and I still wouldn't put it outside of the realm of possibility for Texas to have enough wiggle room to, at the end of the day, maybe bring him back, reunite him once more with Maddox. I also think the Yankees are going to get him because they've lost out on every starting pitcher available. Next thing up from the 314, more likely Josh Allen wins MVP or the Bills miss the playoffs entirely. Oh, Allen wins MVP. I don't think they're missing the playoffs. <laughs> I think with the two games that they have the rest of the way, you got New England with this one, so that's in my opinion, a sure victory. Should and then that Miami-Buffalo game, I mean, I think Buffalo can give Miami a run for its money. I haven't been overly impressed with them lately, so I'll say Josh Allen because if he goes up there against Miami and puts up significant numbers and is the reason Buffalo wins, I think that's his clear-cut victory in the MVP rate. Allen for MVP as well solely because we are now giving that award decisively to the quarterback no matter what it doesn't matter what Christian McCaffrey does it doesn't matter if Tyreek Hill surpasses 2200 yards through the air we're giving it to the quarterback and it's changing on a weekly basis so why not Josh Allen so Cincinnati the teams that are behind them the teams that could potentially push Buffalo out of the playoffs Cincinnati they're at eight and seven they've got Kansas City on the road this weekend they could totally win that game they're a seven and a half point underdog though and then they're at home against Cleveland Pittsburgh eight and seven right now their two final games are at seattle and at baltimore with mason rudolph as their quarterback i'm eliminating them i know they've got mike tomlin and mike tomlin never loses more than eight games in a season I- i'm eliminating them out of this picture next one up houston texans we don't know what's going on with cj stroud they're without tank dell the rest of the season they just got beat badly against cleveland their final two games though Tennessee and Indianapolis. And then the final one is Indy at eight and seven Vegas this weekend, Houston in the final week of the season. And Oh, by the way, I probably shouldn't have left them out. Jacksonville is the one other that we could put into this conversation at eight and seven, but their final two games, Alex are against Carolina this weekend and on the road at Tennessee. So you really have for the final three spots in the postseason. Buffalo, Cincinnati, Houston, Indy, and Jacksonville. Those five teams. Say all that to say this. I think it's more likely that uh, Josh Allen ends up winning the MVP. I'd be really surprised, man. I'd be really surprised if they missed out on the playoffs entirely this year because I think they're going to have some tiebreakers over those teams with the way that their conference record has gone this year compared to some of them. Uh, I, I think they end up getting in. And if they get in and if they beat the Miami Dolphins in that final game of the regular season and Allen is awesome. That's going to be the last thing everybody remembers. It's entirely possible that that ends up giving them the number two seed in the AFC. And if you're telling me Josh Allen wins the final five games of the season against KC, Dallas, New England, Miami, and he goes scorched earth. Yeah, he's going to win. And a nice little feather in his cap down the stretch. He has been doing much of the heavy lifting without the prohibitive performances from Diggs. He's been leaning heavily on Cook, but he has been facilitating and manufacturing so much. Diggs has only been their leading receiver once in the last six weeks. He's been rushing the ball for touchdowns all season long, more than Lamar Jackson. He's been, despite the turnovers, which is a big deal, um, in a normal year, he wouldn't even be in contention because in a normal year, you've got guys that have run away with it by this point. This year, though, he's still in contention. Very much in the conversation. Chris Kerber, Voice of the Blues, coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Bring out the Zamboni! 
It's time for Curbside with the voice of the blues, Chris Kerber. Brought to you by Scott Lee Heating Company, a proud Mitsubishi electric elite contractor. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Bradford Bruns, I'm Brandon Kylie. We're happy to go out to the 101 ESPN hotline to be joined by Chris Kerber, the voice of the blues. He's joining us as he does each and every Wednesday here on the show. Kerbs, I hope you had a happy holidays with you and yours, man. How you doing today? BK, I'm doing great. How are you guys? Uh, doing very well. So the Blues have played five games so far under interim head coach Drew Bannister. They are 4-1 and one in those five games. They have come back from a two-goal deficit. They have now come back from a three-goal deficit. They had done neither of those two things prior to Bannister's arrival. Curbs, what's your biggest takeaway so far? I understand it's very early, only five games. But what's your biggest takeaway so far from how the Blues have played under Drew Bannister? I think they've played hard. Um, and I think even after the Tampa game, the message from Drew Bannister, you know, to the media and, and obviously to his team was, look, I understand we're not going to win every game, but that doesn't mean we aren't playing hard. And he didn't like the effort and what he saw in that Tampa game. And so to me, I think that's probably the biggest takeaway so far is he's got the team kind of pointed in the right direction with their effort. And I think that has shown in a couple of come-from-behind wins. So with those come-from-behind wins, Curbs, uh, we've we've heard a lot of Drew Bannister talk about the accountability, but a lot of that accountability comes from within that locker room. Does the fact that they just proved to themselves as a team that they have the ability to come from behind make a difference moving forward? Yeah, the come-from-behind, is it, it really is a mentality. You know, it, it shows that you can do it. Now, I, I did ask Drew this, this morning, and you'll hear it on the coaches' show tonight, about it's great that you've come from behind from two big deficits, but I, I can't imagine that's the game plan moving forward. <laughs> and as he put it, uh, you know, it, it, to have fallen that far behind was unacceptable. And I think, and, and the guys, as you know, changing habits and changing, changing trends and tides of, of momentum, it, it takes some time because you have to rebuild an all-around game and so, as, and Alex, you've got some of those nuggets uh, about how many times the Blues have allowed multiple goals in a short yes. amount of time. 17 in three minutes or less. Yeah, that's, that's actually amazing. Uh, so it, it's, it's the mindset and the compete of what you've got to bring next. And, you know, back, back to the word accountability. A coach can do, you know, can bench a player. A coach can scratch a player, you know, in the end, accountability is a personal word. This is where I've come to over the last couple of weeks with this. It's a personal word. Are you, are you holding yourself accountable to everybody else in the room? You know, I mean, even look at the radio station. You know, are we all doing what we need to do to make the radio station better? You know, from a blues standpoint, is everybody working for the blues in the front office and the tickets are doing their part to make it better? It's personal accountability. You either have it or you don't. And if you don't, you're hurting your own team and, and shame on you. So um, I, I think and I hope we continue to see more of that personal accountability grow throughout the room. Chris Kerber is the voice of the Blues. He's joining us here on 101 ESPN. The Blues will be back in action tonight after the holiday break. Alex has your pregame coverage starting at 6. Curves will be on the call starting at 7. And in net tonight, Curves, 
it's not going to be Jordan Bennington, interestingly enough. They're going to go with Joel Hofer, and we talked about this a little bit earlier. I'll just give you our, our quick thoughts on it, Curbs. It, it makes a lot of sense. 11 of the last 14 games, you've seen Jordan Bennington as the starting goalie, and I do think we've seen um, a, a little bit of overuse start to show itself with Bennington personally. I, I don't think he's been at his best. What did you make of the decision, though, to go to Joel Hofer tonight coming out of this break? Yeah, I think coming out of this break with playing three games in four days, Jordan having played that one right before the break, uh, practice schedule sometimes can be difficult. And I think it's always good to have uh, some extra time for the goaltenders to go through a goalie practice with David Alexander. So uh, I, I think keeping keeping Joel sharp and with the stretch of hockey coming up is important. And what it probably tells you, in my opinion, what it clearly tells you is that the two out of the first three games here coming out of the break are going to go to Joel Hofer yep. because I don't see them going back-to-back with Jordan uh, with, with travel to Pittsburgh. So um, I think it's okay. I don't read anything into it other than you've got two goalies and one played a really good game the last time he was out in Hofer, and, and they're keeping him you know, going from a game standpoint as you've got a busy schedule. So. I'm not overly surprised by this one, to be honest with you. So speaking of that schedule curves, uh, Bannister had a really good comment earlier today talking about this this part that they're going in where I think it's eight of the next nine are played against top three opponents in their division. And he said, this is going to be a tough part of our schedule. I've said this before. I think we need a hard, or I think we need hard right now to see where we're at. And this is going to be a good test. What would you call a success out of this next eight game stretch? Well, I'll even I'll go backwards a couple of games and to when the Blues finally got home off of the road. And they have a stretch now where they've got 11 of 15 that they're in the middle of on home ice. And you're right. Most of these are against the top teams in divisions, right? So to me, success, I mean, you've been one or two games over 500 all year. If you can get over the next eight games, if you can get basically, so at 32 games, you're talking about the midway point of the season. If they can find a way to get the five games over 500 over the next eight games, which is three games over 500 over that stretch, say five and two, uh, that that's going to be that that's the mark for me. I felt at the beginning of the season, getting to the midway point of the season, six to seven games over 500, gives yourself a chance at the playoffs. I do think that by the time this stretch is done, by the time the team is heading out to Washington to take on the Capitals, you're going to have a real good idea where this team stands and how the team is because this is a hard stretch of hockey and you're either going to be successful or you're going to know that you're probably chasing a draft pick at that point in time. That's the way how important I see the stretch of 15 games. Chris Kerber is the voice of the Blues. He's joining us here on 101 ESPN. Uh, Kerbs, the last time that the Blues had multiple players with at least 80 points in the regular season was 1994. It's been 30 years since we've seen that. Do you think we'll see that this year? Oh, man, uh, I don't know that we're going to see it this year because it would it, it, it means a heck of a torrid pace the rest of the way for uh, for Butch Navich and for Cairo. Could do I think we could see three in the seventies? Yes. Two in the eighties? Man, I'd love to see it. Because that that would be really good. But that's asking for close to a point a game now or just over a point a game the rest of the way through for the for those other guys. And look, point point a game, eighty two points in eighty two seasons, guys, isn't easy. <laughs> it's a hard thing to do. 
Um, There's yeah, a reason why it hasn't been done here for 30 years. There's <laughs> <laughs> been some good I hockey know. teams that had zero. I know. Isn't that crazy? Like, I go back, Brandon, and I look at those numbers sometimes, and it blows my mind. Because I, I look at teams like Pittsburgh that's had, two, you know, three of them. And some of these other teams and, you know, Chicago and what they've done. And, and the Blues have had an amazing run of competitive teams without that. But in today's game, get a couple high draft picks and find a couple guys that can do it. And you know what's amazing? Look, let's just say, let's play this out for just a second here. Let's just say that it does happen, right? Where And, and, it, and it's Thomas and Kyra sure. for the sake of this discussion, right? You're not getting 80-point seasons out of top 10 draft picks. You'd be getting 80-point seasons out of a 25- and 24-year-old there was a 20th overall pick and an early second-round pick. That's some doggone good drafting by the St. Louis Blues. The fact that we're even talking about it being a possibility, and then an even better move by Doug Armstrong to trade for Pavel Butchnevich when the, or when the New York Rangers thought they were in a cap spot. If those three guys can do it, man, does that say a lot, not only about them individually and the effort they put in there, but it says a heck of a lot about your hockey ops department to find that kind of talent either by a trade or through drafting when you're not drafting top 15 on a regular basis. Curbs, I know this is hypothetical, and I know it's down the road because the Blues can't start negotiating with them till the offseason, but what do you think the future of Pavel Buchnevich is with the St. Louis Blues? I hope it's a long one. I, I, uh, I You just don't, like, the, the key is, and, and again, a lot of the reason that the Blues had to part ways with some of their other dra- our players over the last year, guys, is we cannot forget the four-plus years of a flat cap and what that's done with the timing of when some guys became UFAs. With the cap going to go up, that's going to be good news. Uh, he's a fantastic teammate. He's quite funny. He, I think, is the best 200-foot player that the St. Louis Blues have in terms of adding that with the skill and point totals he can provide playing every scenario, um, his size, his care, that he's a student of the game in so many ways. If you're in a transition now, that's great. He's one of the guys that are going to see you through it and come out of it. And I hope that he wants to stay in blue and the blues want him for a long time, because I think it's a fantastic fit. Curbs, you've seen a lot of blues hockey. Where's he rank among the better penalty killers that you've seen? Offensive-minded uh, penalty killers, I should say. Oh, often. Well, he's right now. He's he's one of the best. Uh, he, he's so smart. He puts the pressure on at the blue line. He's forced it out, and you know sometimes it's it's knowing where your other teammates are that give you the ability for it. Um, and the, look, the same player could go. He could get three more shorthanded goals this year, finish with seven, and next year could be just as good of a penalty killer and get none. Sure, that's <laughs> the that kind of what happens in penalty killing, but. Uh, in, in my time with the St. Louis Blues and some of the great uh, d- defensive-minded forwards uh, from a penalty kill standpoint, he's he's one of the best we've had. Th- shorthanded goals over the last four seasons for him by year. Three, two, zero last year, but he's got, got, he felt like he always got opportunities. And then two more this year so far. Uh, he's he's a monster. I, I absolutely love watching him on the PK. He treats it like a power play. Uh, it's it's so much fun. Hey, Curbs, we appreciate the time as always, man. Looking forward to you on the call tonight. Blues versus Stars back in action for St. Louis. Pre-game with Alex at 6. Puck drop with Curbs coming up tonight at 7 o'clock. Enjoy, man. We'll talk with you again next week. All right, guys, have an awesome day.
You got it. Same to you. That is Chris Kerber, the voice of the blues, joining us as he does each and every Wednesday here on BK and Ferrario. How many you th- how many shorthanded goals do you think leads the franchise history? Most goals in franchise yeah, most by shorthanded a goals. Ooh, that's a, a fantastic question. I do not know. I don't even have a point of reference for this, unfortunately. I'll I'll say twelve. Twenty-nine. Really? My who? <laughs> Larry Patey. So I think he, I think he is uh, the best penalty killer in no, Blues franchise history. Man. D- different era. Different, d- 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 different era. <laughs> By the way, guess who number two is on this list? This is just great for people that's like, offensive players aren't good defensively. Brett Hall's got eighteen of them. That's one of those where they're down by a goal and they say, hey, Holly, <laughs> screw go, it. Go. <laughs> We're already down by a goal. We got five minutes to play. Go out there, man. Yeah. So, so that's amazing. Pablo Buchnevich has what? Five in his Blues career yeah. or four in the Blues career? Four so far. Yep. So he's ranked 29th. That's pretty amazing. History. He's been here for three years. Yeah, he played 167 games. The only guy that's have have more goals than him in less amount of time, Derek Sanderson, who has six and played only 97 games with the Blues. Yeah, since the start of the 2020 season, yeah, uh, he has seven shorthanded goals, which is the same as uh, Mitch Marner, Elias Pettersson, to name a couple. Um, guy, there's only seven guys in the NHL that have more shorthanded goals in that stretch yeah. than Pavel Buchnevich. By the way, number one on that list is Chris Kreider, my favorite NHL. Oh, man, boy, player. could you imagine a penalty kill of Chris Kreider and Pavel Buchnevich? Can you imagine? Mm. The Rangers can't because they didn't have him on it. Alongside <laughs> Alex Ferrario and Bradford Bruns, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, we'll put a bow on this with the BK and Ferrario Rewind here on 101 ESPN. <laughs> We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on PK and Ferrario brought to you by Gloria Loom, your home sold guaranteed realty. Selling your home begins at Gloria has the buyers.com. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Bradford Bruns, I'm Brandon Kylie. I thought we had a really good show today, Alex. Really good stuff. I thought I was at my best. That's what I really think. I I thought I was at my best today. If you missed any of it, be sure to check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, and the free 101 ESPN app is where you go to find it. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Alex, Blue's back in action tonight. You'll hear it right here in your home of the Blues, 101 ESPN, starting at 6 o'clock. And the top line is once again together. That'll be Buchnevich, Thomas, and Kairou. Those guys are out shooting their opponents 50 to 22 when they're on the ice together at even strength under Drew Bannister. They have outscored the opposition eight to four in that stretch. And Alex, any of those three players have the potential to get to 80 points this year. The Blues have not had multiple guys do so in the last 30 years. The reason why I bring that up, Alex, is because when you look at some of the other teams recently, that have had two guys get to 80-plus points, forwards, two forwards that get to 80-plus points, there are some comparisons for what we could be watching, what we're witnessing right now with the Blues. It doesn't necessarily mean, hey, Blues are going to be a Stanley Cup contender this season, but it could be a sign of what's to come. Colorado Avalanche, 2017, they had multiple guys get to 80 points that season, lost in the first round, but it was the start of what has been a pretty sustained build since then. You go to the 2018 Florida Panthers, They had multiple guys get to 80-plus points that season. Did not get to the playoffs that year. However, they have been to the playoffs every year since based on the performances of the players that got there. 
and trading one of them, including Jonathan Huberdeau. Oh, Vancouver Canucks, last season, multiple players get to 80 points, miss the playoffs that year, get a new coach in. Now this season, one of the best teams in the NHL. And then finally, uh, you look at what, or the, that was the other team. So those are the teams that have done it recently, Alex. You could be adding your name to that list. We've got to see more out of that top line. They've got to continue playing the way that they have early on under Drew yeah. Bannister. And, I mean, you, you hate labeling one area the reason a head coach is going to survive, but that's going to be Drew Bannister's career here. If you're the long-term head coach or at least the next permanent head coach, it's going to be off of the success of Thomas Cairo and Buchnevich. And I know Kerb said that that's a lot of points for those guys to put up, but if you've clicked an untapped potential with these three of where you now realize what it's going to do to make these guys some of the greats because look they put up those points against florida who arguably is a really good defensive line to go up against with barkoff and reinhardt so if you can do that on a consistent basis specifically in this next eight game stretch well drew banister just cashed in his ticket to being the next permanent coach for the blues he's alex ferrario you'll hear him tonight on the pregame coverage for blues versus stars looking forward to this one a big test for st battle Lewis, of the stars starting at six o'clock Huge thanks to Bradford Bruns helping us out today. We'll have Greg Francis in with us tomorrow. We'll talk to you guys then. The Fast Lane's coming up next here on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.